Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Exciting installment of the fifth column podcast. This is dispatch number 201. We are in the tail end of February 2020. I'm Camille Foster. What? I do various things February. in a place called Freethink. Oh, yeah, it's August. This is the same uh, thing close to. Actually, did I even finish the rest of the intro? Because I was supposed to say this is your almost weekly rhetorical. Yeah, but you have the, the date wrong. The <laughs> I'm, I'm getting all of it wrong. I've gotten everything wrong. It's totally not February. It's August. Oh, no, it's not even close. I mean, why would I think it's February? I mean, I've listened to this podcast so many times. The intro is hypnotizing. So when you yeah. said it, I was just like, yeah, it's February. Yeah, it's, February. it's February. That's it's why true. I need to correct you. So wow. People are like, oh, shit, I got like an wow. old podcast. God, you imagine the, the things that we could do. Yeah. Remember to get out and vote on November 1st, 2020. <laughs> is that a crime yet? Can I go to jail for saying that out loud? For taking advantage of yeah. dumb people? It's, I mean, <laughs> honestly, don't we not want those people to vote? Yeah, well, if also, I can persuade you that the election is on November 1st by saying it out loud or even writing it on Twitter, the text your vote. Then well, you're too dumb to too, vote. <laughs> I mean, it's also, if that's the case, then we should stop like uh, uh, pricing things at like $1.99. So they don't know it's $2. It's like they shouldn't, just don't trick them. Well, look, they think I, it's a dollar. I, I really am. I've screwed up the entire intro. Let me like just it. go ahead and throw some new things in. Yeah. We are at We the Fifth on Twitter. And you can also find us at WeTheFifth.com. Um, we are on Patreon as well. So if you'd like to support what we Patreon.com there, slash you can go there. Yeah. yeah, and you can support the thing that we do and yeah. give us money. And you will also get exciting, incredible bonus content. Yeah. I actually have some interesting stuff to reveal, but I will tell you yeah. bef- before I get there, I want to say that Matt Welch mm. is off doing a thing and yeah. cannot be with us today, but we're with him in spirit. We are. At the moment, I believe he's drinking and that's the reason he can't join us. Yes. But what else is in new? California? Because he is yeah. a, a vicious alcoholic. I mean, oh it's just, God, he's bad. We need to get help from Matt Welch. He, I think he's at a place called like Breezes, or like Breakers, <laughs> getting cleaned up in California. <laughs> By <laughs> social distancing. Camille's paying for it. Listening to Jimmy day, Buffett. Listening to Jimmy day, Buffett. And he's going to be better. That's what they do there. <laughs> Actually, you, the patrons are paying for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and you hear these voices. Michael yeah. Moynihan, Vice News. He's in the building. Um, and we are also joined by the one, the only, the legendary. Legendary. Coleman Hughes. Freshly shaven, yeah. by the way. Looking several years younger, which mm. means he he's, looks like he's nine. He's nine. Coleman, <laughs> yes. thank you for joining us today, young man. Pleasure How to be here. How are you? You're, are, you look... 14 and you're a legend there's not many legendary 14s who aren't like that's tiktok stars that's the thing this is you true. are not a tiktok star yeah you are yeah. a public intellectual wow is that what we call you wow do you do you like that phrase I mean, do you embrace not that particularly yeah what do you what do you imagine yourself as career wise how do you describe what you do for a living I don't. Yeah. Yeah. That's why he's not doing so well. Right I don't now. think there's any description that's not to some degree cringy. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't. Yeah. He's just, it's, I mean, it's fair. Christopher Hitchens he, used to, used to say that, that, you know, he hated the phrase public intellectual. Uh-huh. And I think it always says something to the effect of like, is there, is there other private intellectuals? There yeah. are people that just intellectuals very quietly yeah, that don't yeah. want anyone to hear. Yeah. But yeah, the, the phrase public intellectual. And if you call yourself that, yeah. you're just an enormous dick. Yeah. That's just really bad. Yeah. So. Well, lots of stuff this week that I'd like to get into. But before we get there, I did want to talk about actually something related to what you just mentioned. Yes. Because 
Moynihan, you have hard drives filled yeah. with things that you've done in the I'm past. I'm a digital hoarder. Yeah. And occasionally you will find really stellar stuff in this archive. And yeah. I, will, I will let you describe what you found and well, where folks will be able to enjoy this. But this is like actually pretty extraordinary. Yeah, no, I have so, not heard it all yet. No, and I'm very excited to hear it. But please tell, tell, tell so the I'm, listeners. Yeah, so I'm putting a few things together uh, for the Patreon. Um, a little kind of bonus content. And as you might know, that unlike a lot of Patreons where you come and you support people because we give you a free podcast, you actually support us and we give you more material. So you get, you know, a, an extra podcast per week and some other things too. And one of those other things was, is, uh, was discovered because, uh, there is a, revolution-ish going on. It unfortunately, looks like it's it's fizzling out a little bit in, in Belarus. And so when I saw that, I said, oh, man, I should go um, find an interview with my friend Natalia, who runs the Belarus Free Theater, one of the braver people I know, absolutely brilliant person. Um, one, I think she won the, the Havel Prize from the Oslo, uh, free, at the Oslo Freedom Forum a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And she's a very good friend. And I found an old interview that I did with her in 2013. And I'm going to put that up, but that's not the great surprise, but that, that that's fun. You should listen to that when I put it up. But on that hard drive, I found that I had dumped, I had an, an old recorder and you can tell it's old is that they're all windows media files. <laughs> they're, they're like recorded like 32 K BPS, like windows media files. So I kind of have to make the audio sound better. And I recorded a lot of things and there was something that I, he said something during it and I was like, Oh, I can find out the exact date. Because uh, it wasn't actually in the metadata of the file, because it had been copied a number of times, and I didn't even know that I had this. And it was from Valentine's Day, two thousand eight. Wow! Uh, prior to the two thousand eight election, when George W. Bush is still president, and it is myself and and Christopher Hitchens uh, talking for I don't know, like an hour and a half. I'll probably cut it down with some, take some of the other stuff out of there. And one of the most interesting things about it is that uh, his daughter is a very good friend of mine. Um, and it, I meet her in the, in the recording. Is that right? Yeah. She like, comes out. Yeah. For the first time. Yeah. 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 Wow. I talked to her today. I didn't tell her though. And it's really, really, it's, it's really interesting. Wow. And, um, the, uh, the election, um, everything, a lot of, a lot of stuff, but there's, um, one bit where I sent a Camille about, about Obama that I thought was very funny. And you can look forward to that because it'll be a quote that I hope will be, um, used by other people in the future. It's very funny. Uh, <laughs> very, very funny. Should we drop it in here? No, no. Okay. Come on. Don't be cheapskates. I, I don't want to. A lot just, of people that aren't cheapskates. I'm asking if I can, you know, do yeah, something yeah. for the people. Well, we give them a lot. Okay. We give right. them a lot. They need to you give get to us make more. The decision. There it is. Um, <laughs> so that's coming soon. Very exciting stuff. And, and by the way, one more thing about that. There's a lot of stuff in what I'm going to do, which I don't think anyone really has done, is I'm going to take the interviews that I have done as a journalist in the past. Mm-hmm. I found Mario Vargas Llosa, the Nobel Prize winning um, uh, novelist, yeah. lots of other things, and I'm going to put that stuff out. Why just sit and gathering dust? And uh-huh. there's a lot of good stuff that you ultimately can't put into a piece. Sure. So I'm just going to make it uh, available. Boom. There you go. There it is. Just so some reuse. good stuff coming. Yeah, some so very good, good stuff, stuff coming. coming. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know who else has very good stuff? Coleman Hughes does because mm-hmm. Coleman is now at Manhattan Institute where he is writing some very remarkable things for City Journal. Um, but he also has his podcast. I believe the latest installment is you and Brett Weinstein, which I have not mm-hmm. had an opportunity to listen to yet. Um, and actually it's not Weinstein, it's Weinstein, yes. Brett Weinstein. And you and Brett, I'm sure had a great conversation. I heard someone say actually our friend thomas say that it was pretty damn good by the so way the, the way you remember it is 
Harvey Weinstein mean Brett Weinstein? Fine. Yes. Yes. Oh, I got that convention from Anthony Fisher. And yes, I did yep. that in my head as I was talking to Brett and introducing yeah. him. I, I have to do it all the time. Remind myself. I said, wait a minute. I just called him the bad one. Things and are going. And, and by the way, Harvey's just a mispronunciation. They're both spelled the same. Correct. Just for the record. Yes. <laughs> Coleman, where can people find your podcast conversations with Coleman? Anywhere you listen to podcasts, but you can also go to my website, ColemanHughes.org. Okay. And your podcast though is not just Coleman Hughes pontificating on various things related to race. Like you do a range of things there. Yeah. It's definitely since the George Floyd riots, especially it's been almost uniformly on that topic. I'm sorry. You, I had- you meant mostly peaceful protests. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Just want to make sure we get that the right. Thought police don't get me. And if you're going to call them riots, they're the 1619 riots. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's actually really good branding for like, if I were Tucker Carlson, I would call them the 1619 riots. She would be happy. That's what she wants. Yeah. Yeah. She shall not be named. Yeah. Because it's important to remember that um, if Tucker Carlson named them that people would then look it up and have to be confronted with uh, the person who shall not be named because keep in mind that only the people in this room and a few other people on earth know who she is. It's a very nice. small circle of people who tend to, you know, Twitter's not really. I don't know exactly who, who we're talking about. My count is now two, which is the number of times that because of engagement with me, she has deleted a tweet. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, what was, the, what was the latest one? The latest one was, um, I made a, so she made this argument in the 1619 project that it's ironic that Asian Americans, certain, you know, a, a faction of Asian Americans would criticize affirmative action laws when those laws were a result of the struggle for black equality that ultimately allowed, that opened the borders, that had something to do with open the, opening the borders to allow those very Asians to come here in the first place. Mm-hmm. There's that, isn't it ironic that they would criticize affirmative action when yada, yada, yada. And I, you know, I, I just think that's, it's, it's not even really a point. It's kind of a ridiculous observation because I, I would like to see how could an, you know, a poor Asian immigrant in New York city protest their own dis- discrimination in a way that isn't ironic. Mm-hmm. Do you have a suggestion, some other way of saying, <laughs> be fair to me, that doesn't, that isn't vulnerable to the charge of irony. So I just tweeted that. And then she said something like your Ivy league degree is not doing you very, very well. It's very she's strange. Really, like some of the yeah. swipes that she takes. And then I, I guess I, got embarrassed about that. And she deleted that one. Yeah. yeah. You know, by the way, it's if strange. I ever was in a situation and I don't think I've ever deleted a tweet after, mm-hmm. I mean, I've yeah. deleted half the tweets I've ever, you know, tweeted just mm-hmm. because why not? But deleted in that way because I'm embarrassed about them. If I did that once, I would be like, Oh God, put like a lock on the fridge kind of thing. So I yeah. don't wake up in the middle of the night and do And to keep doing it is astonishing to me that people like she does that so much that, you know, I'm like, God, you know, if you say that to your Ivy league degree, uh, you know, this is a woman who works in the New York times, uh, one of Paul and has like the MacArthur genius grant, right? Is that all, all those things correct? Yes. And she's talking about how, you know, what your privilege or something. I don't understand. I don't I'm not know. sure. Yeah. I don't know. She assailed me once for using big words. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. You should have uh, tweeted back with a picture of you with a grill in your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even remember what the context was, but I don't know. She, she blocked me a little while ago, so I'm not. Oh, you blocked? Yeah. Coleman, why do you suspect she hasn't just blocked you at this point? I have absolutely no idea. Okay. Well, whatever. I have absolutely, but she hasn't. I checked after this exchange. Yeah. It's the oddest thing. Whatever. 
whatever. Well, there's so much stuff that we could talk about and a lot of stuff that I'd love to talk to you gentlemen about. Um, we see that, you know, the D well, the DNC just wrapped up its 2020 convention, a very bizarre affair, not bizarre because it's the DNC convention, but bizarre because it's happening in the time of COVID. These are usually massive events with huge attendance, with a lot of pageantry and pomp and, you know, all of the awful things that go along with politics more generally. And it wasn't that at all. This weird kind of remote production. And I'd love to talk about many aspects of that. There are some other things that we probably ought to get into as well. And some things that have been in folks craw. Uh, Moynihan, I know, had some things to say about Susan B. Anthony and mm-hmm. the, the attempt to cancel her posthumously. She was <laughs> yes. po- first pardoned posthumously. And then folks decided, well, we should cancel her. Yeah. Um, because she's a uh, monstrous help, racist. Well, yeah. this is the thing. That was yeah. the thing. Trump likes they were you. This is a problem. to cancel her before that, though. Yeah. Just to be clear, the timeline of that now... This, which is apparently still in business, um, video was from like February. I, yeah. just, I, I, I saw later. They got to recirculate it when the yes. president pardons yeah. her posthumously. Um, pardons her for, for voting, which, you know, probably shouldn't have been a crime. Uh, no, probably about it. Um, we also have maybe a little bit of conversation about the Breonna Taylor situation. I, I for the first time, really have taken a look at this case mm-hmm. because early on when I heard about the case, I, I just didn't examine it all that thoroughly, uh, probably because we were in the throes of the beginning of the woke apocalypse. And at the time we were juggling a number of different yeah. cases at once. And the story there seemed like one that I'd heard before. No knock raid. Someone gets dead inadvertently. There were a lot of things about the case and continue to be a lot of things about the case that people believe to be true that are in fact, not true. And I think yeah. it might be interesting to discuss some of that. Um, and I mean, what else are there? Are there other things that we, there was something else that was happening. We were going to talk about, but there's, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Cause we'll I think, see. I think a lot of it like runs into one another and is very interesting, but perhaps we can start with the DNC convention and we'll see how far we go. And there's a lot of interesting things that happened and didn't happen. The didn't happen include one includes Tulsi Gabbard, not invited according to her and didn't participate. Most yeah, members of the squad surprise didn't participate. Invited, yeah. So this yeah. was a, you know, an event curated by the party in the way that one might expect. They don't invite members of the squad because they consider them communists and they don't uh, invite Tulsi Gabbard because they consider her a Republican. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what they do. Well, she, that's, she they plays, consider her as this like Fox News's favorite, favorite liberal. Yeah. And Tucker Carlson likes her and Joe Rogan likes her, et cetera. And uh, the AOC's, is I suspect that a lot of people know that this is the last gasp of this version of the party, mm-hmm. that this version of where Bill Clinton can be, can be wheeled out and, you know, Hillary Clinton. And it's, you know, it's a, James Carville, as I said to you before he started, mm-hmm. had a, it was like the greatest day of, of his life or something. He said, it's James Carville's democratic party from mm. the like nineties and what Hillary lost, you know, running on, you know, as representative of that party. But after this, I think it's pretty much over. Well, it does seem like there's a lot at stake in this election, as I was reminded a hundred thousand times that once again, this is the most important election of Always my lifetime. Is, yeah. Um, yeah. This time, <laughs> democracy is at stake. Uh, and it seems as though if the Democrats manage to lose this race, the party is almost certainly going to undergo a massive transformation, some sort of pivot. It also seems likely that if they win this race and you have Kamala and Joe in office, and I don't know how long Joe stays in office, but Kamala and Joe in office, that is a different kind of party as well. I mean, Kamala is someone who seems to be able to embody any kind of politics, but for the most part, 
is generally someone who I think people imagine as like an establishment candidate, someone yes. who is kind of carrying on that moderate tradition. Yeah. And it was very obviously a desire to kind of tack to the center, it seemed. And she also tacked to the left during the primaries. I mean, remember the first person to to kind of shoot up her hand when, yeah. uh, who I can't remember, the moderator asked, do you guys believe in Medicare for all? Mm-hmm. And she was the first one with her hand up. Enthusiastic, yeah. Yeah, and, and underscoring always her progressive voting record, which, you know, I mean, I voted with Bernie Sanders, you know, 90x, you know, 95% of the time, 96% of the time. Um, it's those 4% that actually matter yeah. um, because it's those things that, I mean, th- th- those numbers don't often mean very much. But I think that, you know, f- for, for her, you know, she is whoever you want her to be. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially why people cannot stand the Democrat. And that's why I'm on the side of the squad in that sense, is that they make a point that I think is correct. And I uh, was with Brianna uh, Joy Gray, mm-hmm. who I had a fantastic conversation. I really had a great time with, and, you know, I don't think we could disagree on more, mm-hmm. but I mean, she's also in the camp of being very skeptical of identity politics, mm-hmm. very skeptical. Um, but she made some points that I thought were, that I thought were right. Because if you frame those questions in a particular way, people support Medicare for all, for all. If you frame them in another way, they don't want Obama taking away their private health insurance. It's all how you massage it. So if you're smart about it, you can make the American people support a progressive party. Let's see how that looks after a year of progressive policies. But in actually getting to getting that, it's fine because you're talking about giving people things. People always like that. This, I mean, you cannot find, so it never surprises me that people say, Oh, 80% of Americans support, you know, giving everyone you know, $10,000 a day. Well, of course they do. <laughs> but once they find out that it's going to bankrupt the government, yeah, yeah. then they're not going to support it anymore. The government so. can't be bankrupted anymore. That is the one thing that the pandemic no. has taught us. In either case, I would like to talk a little bit about the the speeches that we heard. Um, and I think there are plenty of things that we could say about the event. It did feel like pretty unnatural uh, for the most part. Yeah. I, I don't know that the that this context, this weird setting with no audience for the most part, at least a virtual audience on occasion that was interacting with the speakers really worked to anyone's advantage, um, especially not Julia Louis Dreyfus, oh who hosted last night. Um, but that was really rough because yeah. I like her a lot and I think she's very funny. Yeah, a lot but, of flat jokes with like no response. But and just, it, it, she, it's a Seinfeld syndrome in the sense of like, remember uh, Michael Richards who got in trouble for saying something racist in a, in a club and all the Some, cu- something racist. Yeah. I don't remember what he said, um, <laughs> but it was bad. You're a liar. Um, no idea. You know what he I said. I really don't. Uh, he was, yeah, you, uh, it's fine. I'm not going to help you. It's fine. Do you remember? I do. I do remember. Okay. Cause he said something, you yeah, know, he actually just said one thing, just, <laughs> a word. just said it a bunch not, of times not, and he yelled it. Yeah. Yelled it. That was yeah. probably pretty bad. But all these comics, all these comics <laughs> were pointing out that, uh, the, the biggest problem with Michael Richards is, is he's a comic actor and not a comedian. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. they try to do comedy, get on stage. It's like Leslie Nielsen is yeah. really funny and like naked gun, but he's not a funny guy. Yeah. And they flail. And like, I think that might be the case yeah. with Julie Louis drives. Cause I was watching that and I'm like, Oh, she's funny. And like, you were kind you know, of expecting a racist. Tirade. I was expecting her to just start calling Kamala. Well, that, I didn't know if that's what Michael just said. Maybe he said Kamala on stage. Cause that's also racist. <laughs> that's not what he said. Um, but yeah, I thought that was, um, Oh God, it was really, yeah. really grim. Well, in a convention filled with, grim and strange things and awkward performances given the setup. Um, Barack Obama's performance really shined. I mean, watching him do his thing again, like you're reminded of just how good a politician he is. The speech that he gave, you know, I mean, on substance, one could try to score that 
pretty sharp um, and pointed, uh, not measured in the sense that, well, measured in the sense that he made it a point to talk about Joe Biden and his background and why he's the guy for the job, but also really sharp in terms of the kind of criticism that he was directing at Trump, which was pretty characteristic of almost all of the speakers. Uh, Joe, Joe Biden didn't spend a lot of time talking about Donald Trump, but pretty much everybody else did. In some instances, Mm -hmm. people like Hillary Clinton explicitly suggested that the election might be stolen this time. In fact, there were a couple of different productions, including some spokespersons who are associated, not spokespersons, but employees who work for the United States Postal Service, bemoaning and complaining and incensed by what they described as the attempts by the Trump administration to undermine the postal postal service in order to undermine the election, which is a pretty astonishing thing to see at the democratic national convention. Well, they spent less time arresting Steve Bannon, (laughs) 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 armed post agents of the postal service coming, which is true. Uh, the cliff Clavens coming up there to take him off of Guawangue's boat. Um, yeah, no, I would say like, uh, you know, I would, I suspect a lot of people would disagree with this, but when I was watching it, I thought watching, um, Biden in particular, and people are just, oh God, heavy breathing about the Biden speech because he didn't step on a rake 15 times. And that's, it's a pretty low threshold, low, low bar. But, um, I was thinking about that too, about the, the Trump thing. You know, what do you do to a troll? Like, okay, so there was this libertarian guy um, who is nuts. And, you know, I, now I can say he's passed away and that's terrible. But a guy named Justin Raimondo. And he used to say things about me all the time. And I just chose to never acknowledge that he was a, actually existed. And I think it was a couple of times he came on the podcast and I was like, I don't know who that is. <laughs> and that was when I was wondering if the Democratic Party would do that about Trump in stop telling the American people what they know is that he's boorish, that he's not, because they're not going to convince you that that boorishness is bad after four years. You either know it's bad or you don't. I mean, that's the end of it, right? So just let it go. You know, take the kind of higher, higher plane here and just say, this is, these are the affirmative policies that I have, because there were times at which I said, I have no idea what these people stand for. I know what they stand against. Mm-hmm. But there was no kind of, you know, affirmation of what their actual policies were. And I was wondering if like, if you went policy heavy, that is why people like Bernie Sanders. I mean, did you like his policies? It doesn't make a difference. It mm-hmm. does not make a difference. He was good at telling you what he believed. And he did it in very, and I, we used to joke about it because it was always, I mean, there was the repetition to a point. It was like, you know, Bernie, do you want a sandwich? And he'd be like, oh, the billionaires having sandwiches. I'm like, no, no. And he's like, no, but I keep doing it. And they know. And it's like, you yeah, know, he's good at that. And so watch it. It's like all these people like Trump, 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 Trump. I know the guy's a fucking chump and everyone knows it. He's mm-hmm. bad at, he's bad at this. He, you can get him to praise QAnon if you, mm-hmm. you know, phrase the, the question which, about how they like Which you. he did, in fact, do this he week. He did, in fact, do. Yeah. Should, which, that and is the other thing I think we ought to talk about. Speech, part, part of why it was good yeah. is because he didn't focus on bashing Trump. Precisely, yeah. And also, I, I think a lot of people, myself included, have been in the uncomfortable position of feeling like I occasionally have to defend Trump because, <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> you know, the, the, Trump will have done something bad and then the accusation will be like not in proportion to what he actually did. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then, so, so it's nice to not get that in Biden's speech where he's going to call Trump a white supremacist. Well, I, I, I suppose the one, the only one part of the speech where that instinct came into my mind was the very fine people on both sides thing mm-hmm. where 
you know, it's, it's been repeated to the point where the truth doesn't matter, but you know, the Mm -hmm. same speech 15 seconds later, he says the white supremacists, I condemn them completely. Right. But there, you know, there, there have been like 40 of those where Trump does something stupid and you know, exactly the reason I voted against him, but then people take it, you know, too far and don't say the QAnon thing is, is exactly analogous because in this QAnon, in this press conference, um, he, was asked about these QAnon people. Mm-hmm. I mean, who are just really despicable nut nutbags. Um, but you know, think everybody's a pedophile and cannibals, and it's just they're just whack jobs, right? Not even worth talking about. But I guess it's because it's spread. I don't even know the penetration of this. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you talk about rioters during these protests, you're like, oh, it's a small majority. Come on. It's like, well, how many QAnon people are there? I mean, you're talking about this all the time. Mm-hmm. So this, and you know, they've done crazy violent, the kind of pizza stuff and everything, but what Trump was did, that, was that actually QAnon? Uh, the pizza gate so. thing was not quite QAnon. Oh, it's similar. This is, this it's is kind of pre, this yeah. is kind of pre QAnon. Yeah. It's the same pedophile ring <laughs> thing, but it's pre QAnon. Yeah. 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 In, no, in fact, I, I don't know that there's actually a, a, a laundry list of bad public acts that can be credited to the QAnon uh, movement. Yeah, I don't know enough about it. I think what honest. you'll actually find is there's a number of crazy people who also happen to be like QAnon yeah. lunatics. Yes. Some of whom, and this is actually interesting because <laughs> I was reading a Daily Beast piece the other day um, and it, it's actually a bit older and it was a failed assassination attempt directed at President Trump. And the guy who was <laughs> participating in this or at least arrested for it was a QAnon mm-hmm. sycophant, which yeah, people try to figure that out. Like, well, what are they actually, but like, no, no, they're just insane people. I mean, it's, it's just the point is like, don't yeah. try to you know, apply some overarching political theory to it. Yeah. They're nuts. Yes. Yeah, the calm before the storm. In, in the thing to the, to the, um, the Charlottesville thing is it's exactly how he responded to QAnon. He said it more explicitly uh-huh. in the QAnon thing. He said, they like me. Yeah. So they must love America. So they're all right. Yeah. They're, good, they're good people, mm-hmm. you know, because they, I'm like, no, they're not good. They're crazy people. <laughs> the thing about Trump that if you pay attention for three seconds and you're not, you know, you're honest about it because you can be disingenuous about these things. Don't pretend that he was dog whistling. He's not smart enough to dog whistle. Mm-hmm. He's literally not. He's, I just, mean, he's doing, it's naked. He, it's naked. He's yeah. doing what's on the top of his head. And like, there are people there and some of them, this is what he thought. It's actually what I thought that day too. Mm-hmm. Cause I didn't know anything about it as it was happening. I thought it was like a Trump rally that was like, there were some Nazis showed up or something, but it turned out to be just a Nazi rally, right? There, <laughs> there are people there that had Trump flags and there were Trump, Trump, Trump. Uh-huh. So he sees that. Mm-hmm. Not a, this is not a complicated thing, people, because he's not a complicated man and says, you know, there's some good people there and there's some bad people there, too. Mm-hmm. And then as as Coleman points out, he goes on to condemn Nazis and the rest of it, which you would expect him to do because he's entrusted uh, his entire foreign policy to a Jewish kid who's never been in politics before, Jerry mm-hmm. Kushner. So bad Nazi if he is a Nazi. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's the simple thing that, that governs Donald Trump is people like him. And they heap praise on him, Kim Jong Un, mm-hmm. Vladimir Putin. Anybody, he will be like, he's a good, he's a good guy. Yeah, he's the, a good guy. The That's highlight, the it. highlight of that exchange, though, might have been the tail end of it, where she, the reporter who's asking the question, I don't know who it was. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm seeing part of her either, face because yeah. she had a mask on. Yeah. Um, and she says, "At the crux of the theory is this belief that you are secretly saving the world from this satanic." Cult of pedophiles and cannibals. His response is amazing. I haven't, I haven't heard that, but uh, 
is that supposed to be a bad thing or a good thing? I mean, you know, if, uh, if I can help save the world from problems, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing. Who wants to not save the world from pedophiles? Right? I mean, I love the way he twists that. And it's not like he's doing it in like this sinister, like, but clever way. He's just too dumb. And he's yeah. just like, yeah, no, that's bad. We should yeah. not like that. Yeah. And, and, he's like, and I am doing good things. <laughs> right. You know, I'm doing good things. It is like so insane watching. Yeah. It's still to this day is amazing to me that that man not only is president is that he that he, there's a series of serious people some of them serious about half of them not serious throwing serious questions at him like the swan the Jonathan Swan interview I was like this is like you know it's an was unfair that, was fight that the guy from Axios, Axios yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. it's like don't oh, man. it's the, like, the, it's the like Mike Tyson where, punching a child <laughs> don't do that the part where he's trying to pin Trump down to using per capita figures on COVID yeah. deaths instead of you know, per infection rates. Yeah. And Trump is just like, I don't know the difference. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking <laughs> like about. Can you just look at this know, document you know? that yeah, I'm putting in front of like, you? Yeah, I'm no, flipping through these pages. Someone <laughs> handed this to me. I don't really know what's going on. Have you seen the map of my election win? It's, Have you seen uh, it? But he, the, the other thing about that interview is, is I, I think, and this speaks to my earlier point. It, it, I think every time people attack him unfairly, it actually garners sympathy for him. And I feel this when I, when I watch Trump, who I think is, you know, incredibly mm-hmm. stupid and, you know, like just absolutely not the person who should be president. But when I feel when I see a journalist, you know, smugly attack him for something that, you know, that that is unfair, it actually does garner like yeah. I feel some kind of sympathy for and him. Certainly his, his supporters. His support, yeah, yeah. His supporters when they turn to you when you're in the press pen at a, at a, at a Trump rally and boo, they're booing at CNN in right. particular. They don't care about MSNBC, by the way. They just don't care because MSNBC is not even you know pretending they're yeah, there's no pretense no they're yeah. just they're just like we're a little Rachel bit. Maddow, a little bit yeah. a little bit um it's far more tolerable than cnn has become and cnn they they remember from 1981 and you know bernard shaw <laughs> bernard shaw and no. uh, oh, you remember him bernard <laughs> uh-uh. shaw the he was the one of the original anchors oh yeah he was uh he was terrific but all they remember all that stuff that's the news organization uh-huh. that has abrogated their responsibility to do news and now they're doing this Trump stuff and making fun of Trump all the time. And it, it, they're right about one thing is that the, they're just grandstanding. And it's like, you want to get the book deal that Jim Acosta got, don't you? Because you're not going <laughs> to. You're trying to get there and, and like wave your arms and do all this stuff. It's like, it's not enlightening anyone. No one's getting any from these. We're not coming away from this like, oh, wow, that Trump's really dishonest. You know, no, mm-hmm. we've known that for you know, years and years and years. This is a man who, you see that uh, frame right there, right behind you? See the guy with the blonde hair? That is Donald Trump's sound man for 12 years and used to put wire him from a microphone every morning in Trump mm-hmm. Tower and said that uh, he used to have, and I think this might've been reported, mm-hmm. uh, that he used to have a stack of the ratings of um, The Apprentice on his desk, which mm-hmm. he would sign for people. Who didn't, they didn't ask for it. He would come in and he would, he would talk to him and he would sign the ratings. Like, yeah, because they want give, this. You want Give this. them the ratings. Yeah. He would sign the ratings. I'm this good. Think about how demented that yeah. is. It's like, it's like signing your SATs when like you've written a book or something. It's just crazy. Well, well I do want to, before we get back to the DNC stuff, because I, I wanted to spend a little more time with that. I think it's appropriate to spend a bit more time with the QAnon thing now that we've brought it up because a number of posts were written both before and after this question um, to the president. And before the question was asked, there had been several days of media coverage that was quite breathless about the dangers of QAnon, this growing movement. Mm-hmm. And it 
it isn't obvious just how many people know about this. I know back in March, um, uh, around the, the end of March, 2020, there was a Pew research poll looking at just how many Americans of either party actually know anything about QAnon. And it is a vanishingly small percentage of Americans that actually suggested that they knew what QAnon was. The highest percentage for New York Times readers. <laughs> well, it's true. Did you well, see that? There's yeah, a breakdown. Yeah, I did. Yeah. By, like, and, by a long shot, too. Yeah. But this is, and, and this is the, this is the odd thing about QAnon. And I'd, I'd be interested in the perspective of the folks in the room to the extent QAnon is a genuine problem. And I've been thinking about this a lot today, actually. It seems to me that the fundamental issue here isn't so much the kind of particular danger posed by QAnon. It's like any manifestation of this crazy is one thing. It's probably not even like Trump self-servingly saying that, you know, hell, I mean, could they be so bad? They like me. I think it's probably the fact that our politics and our society broadly allows for this kind of social contagion to exist. And you have like literal nobodies who can gin up a conspiracy like this, mm-hmm. like out of whole, I mean, just out of nowhere, like they can make yes. up a conspiracy theory um, and create some kind of a movement. And it's a marginal movement. I think but it is it, fair it, to the say. The best thing about it is it might be the result of an elaborate troll from people on 4chan. Sure. And it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, whoever created that should come it's still resonating with like, some people. Yeah. Yeah. It's still resonating with some people. So whatever it is. That seems to be the thing that probably that we probably ought to be paying attention to, because at, at a minimum, when you actually shine a light on this thing, what you end up doing, and we actually saw this with some white nationalists who were out supporting Donald Trump, whether or not Donald Trump actually acknowledged them, you shine a bright light on these people and you actually amplify them. like You make them a great deal more prominent than they actually are. In some cases, if you're not careful, if all you're engaged in is like these categorical condemnations, well, this person is a racist. I can't believe this. This person is a conspiracy theorist. Both of those things may be true, but those are kind of, those are broad, nonspecific assaults on these movements, on these peoples, on these personalities. And I think those actually oftentimes have the propensity and perhaps a higher likelihood of not merely amplifying them, but making them more popular Mm. um, and more appealing to some of the people who might actually get drawn in by something like this. And if you're actually going to talk about these things, it seems appropriate to me anyways, to actually deconstruct what it is they believe and go after those specific things that are in fact wrong. And even more than that, to do kind of the work that we do here on the podcast, which is try to help people understand what you have to do when you're reading the news and you're trying to assess what is true yeah. and what is false. But the question and to, to actually develop some sort of actual skeptical muscles. But let me, let me I know that's hard now. work, no, but, but let me, it seems let me to me that that's the only actual thing you can do. You have to strengthen the societal immune system to bullshit narratives because we are awash in bullshit narratives all the time. And sometimes they take hold and you will just have to combat them. But here's the question. I mean, I, I, I'm putting this to you because of what you just said, and this is open to, to Coleman too. Is it something that we can actually win? Or are these people just those types of people who some of them are actually quite clever and they know the conclusion that they want to reach? And I think the thing that we find now is, I mean, this is all about technology in so many ways. I always think that in the 1990s, there were millions, hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands 
of unrealized Holocaust deniers in the world mm-hmm. that had no access to this stuff, had no access to the, the, you know, videotapes of David Irving or the newsletters that he would send out or his books and the rest of it. Some people did come in contact with that and they would join the movement and the rest of it. I think now it's like, oh my God, there's so many more. It's like, well, you know, you don't have to sign up for the Ron Paul survival report <laughs> hey. and send a self-addressed stamped out envelope. Come on. It's now it's just out there. So I think that we are, there, there's a kind of disposition towards this stuff that, I mean, this is a picture that I'm going to show you and, and you guys can look this up. This is a gathering of the Finland QAnon brigades. Oh my God. What does Finland have to do with QAnon? They're just a type. They, right? have, a, they have a handmade sign. They do. They have a handmade dangerous. sign. Yeah. They're like in Finland. I think it's illegal to print that sign. But, um, <laughs> but you know, these are, I mean, you look at their faces and they just look like a bunch of like weirdos and lunatics. And like, there's not a lot you can say to those people because it's not as if like we talk about things in the podcast, like, um, the thing that a lot of people, I would say 70, 80% of people live, I think that's actually the number that I get frustrated by. And people kind of look at me cockeyed when I say it. I would love to explain to people that Lee Harvey Oswald shot John F. Kennedy <laughs> and killed him. And he did that on his own. And there was not, the CIA wasn't responsible. It's, it's, it's very clear, by the way. <laughs> but people believe, you can disabuse people of, uh, of things like that. We're talking here about cannibalists, uh, can, the, the, the cannibalists who are pedophiles. Yeah. In secret what, rings of pedophiles. Secret rings. But the, yeah. what they're doing is they are taking this one tiny thing. A tiny thing. It's one thing. Is pictures of Jeffrey Epstein with Donald Trump. Blow it up. To, well, Hillary Clinton with everybody, with yeah. Bill Clinton, whatever. Yeah. You Stephen know, Pinker. Uh, oh, Stephen poor, Pinker. Poor Stephen Pinker. Well, know? the guy was giving millions and millions and millions to of dollars actual, to MIT. To actual science projects. To actual yeah. science projects. They're like, you know what? You tend to hang out with those guys. Yeah. You're not like, hey, you know, maybe go to them, this like, one's a pedophile. You never, <laughs> why would one ever think that? Yeah, but hey, uh, thank you so much for the donation. Like, how old's your girlfriend? It's like, no one's saying that. She seems young. Yeah. Um, so, but you know what I mean? Is that like... No, I mean, I, th- I think you're no, right. I you're think right. you're right. Like, if, if you look at polls... Of any question, I don't know where I've seen this polling, but like polling, they'll just ask crazy questions about aliens, your belief in aliens, your belief in people, people. and you, there's no question crazy enough that you don't get at least 8% of people saying they believe it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there's also the, the, the kind of question bias, the existence of the question bias, that if someone's asking you something, you think you might've missed something and you say, yes, like, do do you believe that uh, QAnon uh, is telling us the truth uh, from inside the deep state. And you have no idea what it is. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. That sounds, no, that I mean, sounds like a QAnon is credible. <laughs> yeah. It's credible. It's, it's a real thing. Yeah. I always watch that channel. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like Quincy, right? The guy Quincy. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I mean, Colin, you, you think a lot about philosophy and about society and the complex problems that a civilization faces. Our persistent vulnerability to batshit crazy stuff or at least some people's persistent vulnerability to it and our persistent vulnerability to them. Like, how is that something that you actually contend with? Do you have any, any ideas about that at all? Cause I, I, I mean, offered a- one and I, and I don't even know that it's a particularly great recommendation, but it does make a lot of sense to me to try always to address yourself to specific complaints yeah. that yeah. people are raising yeah. to the extent you're yeah. going to talk about the shit at all. Well, yeah, I, I think I, I agree with you because I think, I think people actually do respond to specific arguments about specific ideas. Even if most of what we're seeing when we watch TV and listen to podcasts is people having their opinions and never budging. In reality, there's 
a whole, you know, um, bottom 90% of the iceberg of people at home encountering ideas by themselves where there's no pressure to believe one thing or another and constantly changing their minds about yeah. mm-hmm. stuff. So that's why th- like this kind of work matters. I-, I remember I was provoked to really think that by listening to Ezra Klein, you know, talk about why persuasion never works. You know, he's talking to me like he, and I think it's just, it, that's something you can easily get into if you're in the business we're in, because every time you invite a guest on your podcast, like I'm not going to change my mind about BLM probably on this podcast, mm-hmm. whatever. There's a lot of psychological momentum and inertia I'm bringing to this moment. That sure. means I'm not going to change my beliefs probably, mm-hmm. but people at home, what, you know, no matter what crazy deep shit they're into, a lot of times they do respond to like, well, listen, actually this is how many pedophiles we think there are. And this is how we think we know that. Mm-hmm. And then some of them get deprogrammed. So, I, th- yeah. I think a good example of that, I think it's a very good point, uh, in particularly as it, as it relates to Black Lives Matter. And I know you've made the point before. I know Camille, Camille has too. And we've talked about it in this podcast. And That's racist. That is a racist it, assumption. I think you'll be like, maybe I did say that. Um, it, it is the very basic point um, of the number of unarmed black men who were shot by the police every year. Oh, yeah, yeah, now, obviously, you get to people that dig a little further into this and say, well, you know, there's other things. The Arbery case is not that, but mm-hmm. it falls in this pattern. I was like, you know, of course. Mm-hmm. And if you expand that, it's still not a ton, right? Mm-hmm. And there's other things. That, but when I tell people that, they're totally shocked. Mm-hmm. Totally shocked. And they can be persuaded by things like that mm-hmm. that are just little data points. They're not ready and, and so their heels are not so dug in that when you say that to certain people, they're like, well, and they're trying to think of the well. You know, they're mm-hmm. going through like all the other <laughs> bad things that happen. And I remember that the first example of that for me was asking people how many, this was in the early 90s, asking people how many, uh, or mid-90s, new AIDS infections there were in America. This was mm-hmm. after the education programs that became, you know, ubiquitous and like everyone was nervous that they were going to get AIDS all the time, although it was very difficult to get in certain certain circumstances. Um, and you'd tell people that the numbers in America were were, were vanishingly small and they just didn't believe you. And said, that can't be I tell me they talk about it all the time. And the same thing is true in the in the BLM case is that, you know, well, your usefulness, Coleman, you know, as a commentator in this stuff is laying out very specifically, you know, things that we don't know about black Americans because we're constantly programmed in a way that is supposed to make things better for black Americans Mm -hmm. to think that there's never been a success. It's been a string of endless failures. There's no way towards success. There's Mm -hmm. only a string of future failures. And, you know, when you talk about the sort of Nigerian Americans being one of the you know, the people who have the highest, uh, one of the highest per capita incomes of a non-native groups in America, people don't know that. And when they find it out, their minds can be changed. I just, on the broader stuff, it's hard. The the thing about that too, is I think there's a- Can be changed, Camille. (laughs) Interesting recent interactions with the gaggle of young first generation um and in many cases in some other cases like immigrant nigerian young i don't people. think it's a gaggle i think it's a murder when it's millennials. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i like that actually crows a murder and, of crows actually that's racist though yeah. to say yeah. murder because it, it was the b- most bizarre exchange and, and then and coleman i'll give you a chance to say mm-hmm. something but um they were all it, we were interacting in a context that i won't explain and they were all explaining how challenging their upbringing was because their parents would continually tell them like not to be like black Americans and how like bad 
like it was to be and to talk and to act like black Americans. And they were trying to deprogram themselves of that, but they were also trying to embrace their black identity to get familiar, to familiarize themselves with black history and to accept the truth that they can't remove themselves from the struggle of black people and the sort of awfulness of blackness, which is a bizarre thing to listen to people say. Because you, you are half of that as like very Jamaican, accomplished. Jamaican parents. I'm, I'm, it's the same experience. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's the yeah. same experience. But, but I think that's it though, because they're all accomplished and, and that's when you start believing stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, I remember I had a producer in 2016, we were covering, covering the election and we had this hilarious thing. We would just keep making jokes about it that every time we went somewhere, we would get an Uber. Uh-huh. And if the cab driver was white, cause uh-huh. a lot of places, you know, it's just like a lot of white cab drivers. They would always be like, what are you doing with all these cameras? We're like covering the election. Ah, oh, that fucking Trump. And every time I swear in my life, it was an immigrant, uh-huh. particularly like, um, African immigrant or, or, um, Hispanic. They'd be like, Trump's the best. And I don't know if they were like, thought that's what, what all white people thought. And they were just trying to be agreeable. But every single one was like first generation. Like this Trump guy's amazing. Cause the, the thing is true is also in Europe is that there's so many people who are first generation who want to bring the drawbridge up behind them. Yeah. They're like, no, 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 no we're, we're done. We're, we're good here. I, I got it. But the rest of them are fucking horrible. <laughs> like, cause that's the thing that we've talked about before. It's like black, when white people, white liberals particularly talk about race, and they talk to you about it, Camille. And they say, like, you know, oh, like, wait, black people, like, oh, everyone's the same, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and what do you think about white people and the way we do this? And it's like, you know, the Jamaicans are too busy, like, hating Trinidadians to get, <laughs> you know, in, like, there's these things that people don't get is that w- how Mexicans think of Hondurans. Yeah. They don't believe that anyone could possibly think in the binary way outside of the binary way that Americans think about race. Yeah. Which is really annoying. Coleman, I, I cut you off. You were saying something about oh. the Nigerian American. No. Well, what I was going to say is that I think there's a similarity between the experience I have and the experience a conspiracy theorist has. Mm. And we were talking about the type of person that becomes a conspiracy theorist. And I've sometimes thought that, you know, it's probably not that different than the experience of me feeling that the New York Times and (laughs) CNN is wrong about the epidemic, the supposed epidemic of police killings. And, you know, and here I am looking at the original data for hours and discovering the truth and thinking about it with other people who are also persuaded that the mainstream narrative is very wrong. Mm -hmm. and. You know, it occurs to me that I think I kind of have the mind that in another context would love to be a a conspiracy (laughs) theorist. So I have some sympathy with people who are tempted to go that route. But I also in terms of being of a similar cast of mind in some ways. Mm -hmm. But I, I am very deeply irked by every conspiracy theory I hear because they all seem so irrational to me. Yeah. And like, have you thought about how many people would have had to keep this silent? And I'm like, reflexively. <laughs> but I, I do feel like I, I don't know. I, I see why someone goes down that route. One, I've never thought about it that way. And I totally get what you're saying. And I think I probably share that, that feeling. But oftentimes I think it manifests itself as like this sinking sensation. I look around, I read the news and I'm just like, how could you possibly think that's true? Why are you framing this story in that way? That is just not accurate. There seems to be some other question you ought to ask. Um, And actually, I had a moment like that when I was listening to Michelle Obama give her remarks at the DNC. And at some point in her remarks, which have generally received very positive reviews, but I thought was just not 
a grand performance, again, probably suffering because of the circumstances. But at some point she says, and here at home is George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and a never ending list of innocent people of color continue to be murdered, stating the simple fact that a black life matters is still met with derision from the nation's highest office. Um, it is the oddest thing to encounter a statement like that and not odd because it's unusual because we've seen it so many times before, like Cory Booker fairly recently had a very, very similar claim mm-hmm. that he made, except it was more flagrantly false where he said, for so many Americans, this is not a tough week or a tough few weeks. This is the story of life every single day. And we have so many people in our country, African-American men, mostly unarmed, being murdered by police officers and no way of holding them accountable. But it's a sentiment you hear all the time, and it's perhaps the DNC's version of American carnage. But the specific claims here related to George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and murder, both of them having been murdered, which is a thing that has not been adjudicated by a court, which seems important um, in one case. George Floyd's case, there are in fact charges being brought, charges have been brought against someone and they're going to trial in the Breonna Taylor case. We're actually still waiting for some things to come. may have more to say about that, but there isn't a never ending list of innocent black people or innocent people of color who are being murdered by police. It's just not true. Like we know how many there are roughly speaking in the sense that we actually have some data about this. Like we know how many unarmed black people were killed last year. Do we use the do we use the thing that everyone uses now um, in in the Trump years, which will disappear um, as of mid November? Is the phrase "without evidence"? <laughs> Michelle Obama says "without evidence." Yeah. you know it's always that parent that but, like. But no there. one, but no one challenges this. Like this, this is said. I bet somebody that, was just murdered right now. I can hear wow, that. Wow, this is this is Brooklyn, <laughs> New York City, in Brooklyn, in the summer yeah, of twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah. um, but it, it does like strike me as like wow, like it's so weird that these things continue to pop up, continue to go unchallenged. And I don't know. Who's going to challenge them? Well, I mean, who's going to challenge them? Because, because there's two things in this mm -hmm. and and it's both the messenger and the message. You cannot criticize a couple of people in America. Um, Beyonce, Mm -hmm. Michelle Obama, top Mm -hmm. two, as far as I can tell. And is someone who's, you know, unimpeachable and you're supposed to say, that, you know, the most mediocre, it used to happen with Tanazi Coates too. The most mediocre thing, you know, it was always like, it's the air that we breathe. It's mm-hmm. the most amazing. Like, this is saying, like, you know, Beyonce's records can be pretty good. Sometimes people have a, like, a decent record that's not amazing. And people no, like, black, it's, black, is, even, black is King is a I revelation. Even, it's it's yeah. the best thing that's ever happened, yeah. et cetera. Uh, but I same having with Black Panther as a movie. And like, mm-hmm. then people kind of forgot about that as a movie. And so you have that and then a claim. That even if somebody who wasn't in a kind of untouchable uh, said, you don't really want to challenge because mm-hmm. it, it opens up the, the charge, even if that charge is dishonest, which is fundamentally dishonest to say that if somebody says, well, I don't know about that. They're like, oh, are you are you opposed to uh, Black Lives Matter? Mm-hmm. Like the guy who was beaten up in Portland. Uh, somebody went through, of course, his his uh, his garbage. Mm-hmm. This is the guy who was riding in a truck yeah. and somehow ends up outside of a truck. Yeah. And Apparently helping a trans person who was getting yeah, robbed or something. A group of, a group of demonstrators who yeah. were 
posing as security. At least one of them had they a might, vest they might that have said the security. word security yeah, on yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, look, remember, this yeah. is like Occupy Wall Street. Everybody's president. Yeah. Well, they, <laughs> they pull him out of everybody's security. He's out of the car. And the video that you'll see sort of floating around the internet is them interrogating him. I think it's fair to say, like, where's your wife? Why don't you answer the phone or call your bitch? Let her know you okay, nigga. What's wrong with you, nigga? It's a lot of, a lot of nigga in there. It's just, it felt weird. I just noticed um, a lot of the kicks in the face. That's well, it. I was, I think I had the and, sound down. And at when I was some point when they got frustrated with him, like a beating commences. Pretty brutal. Yeah. And uh, it was yeah. pretty ugly to see, but. But no, but the point I was saying about that yeah. was that people went, found his social media posts and it was like, uh, the anti George Floyd or anti BLM mm-hmm. posts that this guy made. Right. And uh, I looked at them. I don't remember them, but I remember thinking, I could be wrong, but I remember thinking saying, well, I don't know if that's anti George Floyd pr- protest or anti BLM. I think it was about people burning things down, which mm-hmm. he made some sarcastic reference to. And it was clear that he wasn't on the side of, of these people, but you know, number one, so what? Mm-hmm. And number two, it's kind of shows you why people don't want to actually engage in, and anything like this, because, you know, who would you prefer to just, you know, say nothing uh, that's maybe kind of obvious to the people that, you know, who you expect will probably agree with you or say something and run the risk of being called uh, uh, a name that sort of sticks to you like Napal. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. I mean, look, it's, you know, th- there's bravery in the world and then there's stupidity. Mm-hmm. It isn't ben- bravery should benefit people. <laughs> right. I mean, being brave, like running into like pulling somebody off the battlefield is bravery. It should, it should benefit. Yeah. It should well, benefit. It's not really it's bravery if you inquire. know it's going to benefit. Yeah. You, right? it, it, it involves risk. No, no, no. I don't think knowing that it's going to benefit you, but if it's benefiting someone else, I mean, yeah. it's, I mean, it benefits nobody. If I say something that it will inevitably, you know, have a thousand people attacking me and nobody coming to my defense. And then two days later being totally forgotten about, it, except for I'm psychologically scarred by it. It's that's not the thing. Like if it's in a public forum mm-hmm. and you are debating somebody and they mm-hmm. make a thing and it's on TV. Yeah, of course, you know, no one to play your cards, but you know, who's going to defend, who's going to go on Twitter and say, Michelle Obama's wrong about that. Uh, you know, I know you will. And I think that a lot of people who would agree with you probably know that when they hear it, but I think people ought right? to, and, and yeah, this I is, so and this I is the thing. Right. I actually, I, right. I actually I think there's a, wasn't this. well, I think there's a presumption that there will be a, a, a punishment that exceeds the actual capacity to, to dish out punishment yeah. and the actual likelihood that you yeah. yourself will be punished for having said this thing publicly, especially in a context where this is just, it's objectively true that there isn't a never ending list of innocent people of color who are being murdered by police officers. And stating <laughs> stating Black Lives Matter isn't a simple fact. It is a political slogan. Yes. And if it weren't so, then it would not be presumed to be an insult when someone says another simple fact. But, but all this, lives matter. Uh, Camille, this right? is These two simple facts. One that does not negate true. the other. It expands on the idea. But l- l- think about this: what insult. happened to you? And like, this is transparently true. I, I can't. Like, you have to be. And I've made this comparison before. Is like. When somebody says they're uh, pro-life, mm-hmm. right? What are you, anti-life? It's a slogan, <laughs> dickheads. I right. mean, you're not, there's, not, there's pro-death. They're, it's a political thing. that It has a glancing relationship to what they're actually trying to argue, right? So when you said this uh-huh. and made this point about Black Lives Matter not being three words strung together that actually mean one thing, right. it was a political thing. The, you get attacked by people on your own side. 
Like libertarians were going crazy well, yeah, and, and rounding on a, you. That's a separate. That's yeah, a separate thing. The thing with Black Lives Matter, as opposed to pro life, pro choice, I feel like I know exactly what is meant by pro life. Mm. Like I could write a paragraph about what this entails mm-hmm. with some, you know, in a range of opinions. Whereas Black Lives Matter, like the people out there marching on the streets, what they believe is totally different than what the leadership of Black Lives Matter believes. I think you that's, know, like I think that's there's, true. There's this whole like the, you know, the end of the nuclear family. If you read their website, like crazy, crazy mm. shit. But the average protester out there probably just thinks, you know, saw the George Floyd video and was horrified mm. and has never, you know, has never heard of all the white people killed, never heard of Tony mm-hmm. Timpa killed mm-hmm. the same way for Breonna Taylor. They, they've never heard of, you know, Derek Cruz, who was shot in the face on a, on a no knock drug raid. And they, you know, they recovered some weed. Um, in in 2015, like they've never heard that, you know, you know, the, 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 the many white people who have mm-hmm. died this way. So, you know, it, it's hard to know what I'm, I am, what I'm saying, you know, when I say the slogan, black lives matter and then all lives matter, it's even harder to know because it was never a movement to begin with. It was right. just a reaction mm-hmm. to a movement. So it, it's like, I find it impossible to, to have anything less than like an hour long conversation with someone about what I think about the phrase black lives matter, because it's so, but, but I, you know, I, I can't do the hostage video thing. Like I can't mm-hmm. do the black lives matter full stop. It's just a fact. Uh, I can't pretend to be outraged at someone who won't say it. Mm-hmm. I can't. Yeah. Cause I know that they, uh, at some level they feel even if their politics are much more to the right of me, they feel the same way about being, they feel as if they're a gun is being held to their, if not their head, then their career. And you have to say this mm-hmm. and we're not going to talk for an hour about it. Mm-hmm. And you just have to say it. Yeah. And it's obvious that you should say it. it's morally obvious. It's not morally obvious to me. There is a, a curious transformation that's taken place over the course of the past couple of months. And I think it is fair to call it a moral panic where most people have not most people, but lots of people and most members of the media and the intelligentsia have accepted a belief that Black Lives Matter is an obviously true statement. And all it is, is an endorsement of your commitment to racial justice. And there was that controversy this week where apparently there was some sort of Goodyear slide that started to make the rounds. I think it was Cernovich who started circulating it. And eventually the president weighed in on this and suggested that there should be a boycott because Goodyear was in some way, shape or form endorsing a policy of saying that you could not wear like MAGA hats, but you could wear a Black Lives Matter themed gear. Mm -hmm. And in one respect, the, the way it was characterized with well, one of these is a political slogan and the other is a call for racial justice. And a reporter actually posed a question to Kayleigh McEnany, the president's press secretary, about this. And she framed it in precisely that way. And I, I do think it's rather obvious that Black Lives Matter is a political slogan. And I wonder, Coleman, I mean, you've, you think about this stuff a lot. Do you suspect that amongst the intelligentsia that there is an unwillingness to accept what's obviously true or that there is a broad consensus and it's like deep and meaningful and that they genuinely believe that this is just an obviously true thing. Or actually, I don't know if I asked the same question. No, twice. Yeah, I, know. I may, yeah, I I may have, but I think the, you know what I'm getting at. Yeah. Yeah. Like the commentary people, I think very much believe it. 
um, corporate woke. I don't think they believe anything other than their, their bottom line. Right. And this is a question I, I wanted to ask you guys as well Is you know, you know, Jack Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, Jack CEO Dorsey. of Twitter gave 10 million to Ibram Kendi's anti-racist mm-hmm. organization right now, which mm-hmm. is just one of, um, a series of actions by the most major corporations that exist in the world today. Mm-hmm to almost invariably signal their allegiance towards black lives matter Mm -hmm. and the, you know, the movement. And I really wonder how people reconcile the idea that they are fighting the system, trying to overturn the system with the fact that all of the major multinational corporations 0.01% are all, ostensibly on their side Mm -hmm. like how do you fight the man when the man is saying is donating to you Mm -hmm. or how do you reconcile that in your own mind well they've yet to do the work (laughs) so you have to commit commit yourself to a a new employment policy if you're microsoft and make certain that you're hiring like 20 percent there isn't a man of your salary i mean how can there be a man when the man is um, you know, bowing down to its 22-year-old employees. But the man is the system. The them. man is the is the existence and persistence of the disparities and the fact that we have, as of yet, failed to do sure. anything about it. And it, to the extent yeah. they still exist, the, def- the deficiency is there and it needs to be cured in an active way. But, but the interesting thing about this is, is that that was not always the case, of course. It was mm-hmm. always that... There were Bull Connors in the South, but there were Bull Connors in the government. There were mm-hmm. Bull Connors in your you know, your local grocery store. They're yeah. everywhere, right? There's some truth to, to this too at certain times in American history. Mm-hmm. But now we're in this interesting position that if every company is doing this, every company, every politician, I mean, the DNC was like clotted with this stuff. I mean, if you came from Mars, mm-hmm. you would have a very, very different vision of what this country is that when you're looking at the DNC, it's what the kind of Democratic Party wants it to be. Fine. But the thing, the thing about that is after a certain amount of time, when every com- company's been doing that for 20 years and nothing's changing, I wonder what the, the, cause I mean, back in, I mean, you look in the sixties and particularly sort of late sixties, early seventies and black power movement and Panthers, the Panthers and Ron Karenga and all these like splinter uh, movements. It was about, you know, these companies are full of, full of racists and white supremacists, the rest of it. And we have to change it in the way that it's effectively changed now, or it has been changed in the past. And at a certain point, it's like, if there's no movement, because it doesn't matter how much money Nike or Adidas gives to charities or Jack gives to that charlatan, not, it's not going to change a damn thing other than make Ibram Kendi even richer. I imagine some of that money is <laughs> going to go to him. He's a, he's a very wealthy man. But I don't, I mean, it, it, it's not going to do anything and people are going to start wondering what the results are. Because, I mean, you can't sit around and, and it ends up being... People end up getting a bit, a bit grumpy about that, which is, I think, interesting about this moment because you saw that in, you know, kind of in the nineties with affirmative action. Cause you're how many years out of a Alan Backy case and it's like 77, 76, something like that. And that kind of the, the so-called white backlash. But I wonder what the backlash is going to be when, you know, there's, there's this, a certain amount of it that is people trying to do, do good, like, like Jack Dorsey. There's a certain amount of it that is people being extorted. I mean, there's just mm-hmm. extortionists that are coming out there saying, 
that if you don't do this and do our program, we're going to make life very hard for you. Something they learned a long time ago from the Rainbow Push Coalition. But they, oh. they were doing that for years of like, you know, Exxon had to do, do all this work if they had one shitty employee who said something shitty. Um, it was their opportunity to seize it and go and, you know, make structural change. But at a certain point, you're saying, okay, why is nothing happening? Particularly when when you have at the point now, and, and, and Coleman can speak to this because I know you've written about it, is that the state of Black America, just writ large, in, you know, a time when racism was much more prevalent in, you know, kind of legally binding in some places and legally acceptable in other places, socially acceptable in a lot of places, uh, that the situation has gotten worse in a number of measures. And I think people recognize that in some way. And there's a certain point at which I think that that if because I don't think these programs are doing any, any good. I mean, Jack Dorsey is, you know, the CEO, whatever the hell his position is, president, CEO of one of the most recognizable uh, companies on the planet is mm-hmm. anyone, everyone knows what the verb means now because Donald Trump tweets all the time and he makes a donation to a fraud, a charlatan, somebody who was, was accused of being a, a nutbag by the New Yorker prior to the George Floyd thing. It was a very good review by Khalif Santa. Was that his Sane? Yeah, it was a very good, very good piece about him and Robert D'Angelo. But that's like, this is not somebody who is in the kind of mainstream of thought about this stuff. So I think they can trick us all the time. It depends on if you take academia and use that as the center, probably is mainstream. But this is being normalized right now, and this stuff will not work. It will not work. It's not going to do anything but make these people more famous and more rich, and it's not going to benefit anybody that's living in any of the areas outside of Ferguson. I guarantee you that. And maybe the woman who was elected um, to Congress from from there... um, who, uh, what the hell is her name? Uh, she's kind of a, a progressive uh, Bush, I think her name is. I can't remember her name. Uh, maybe she will, because she's representing mm-hmm. uh, Ferguson and uh, very much a protester, been part of that, mm-hmm. and very much part of the Justice Democrats movement. So maybe that, but, but you know, there's a certain point at which, I mean, we can stop marveling at how dumb all this stuff is in, when we watch people take over and gain this kind of influence. I mean, nobody knew who this asshole was, um, you know, well, most people didn't like six months ago. Mm. I mean, so so what? What is he going to do? How is this going to change the world? How is Jack? Well, have you Dorsey heard, have you heard his um, his idea for a new constitutional amendment? Oh yeah, we've, I think oh, we've no, talked did, about that. No, did we? The anti-racism. Amendment. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 You set up so a this new is, anti-racist institution. Yeah, to set up a, a, a pass an anti-racist constitutional amendment mm-hmm. that would empower a panel of experts, a panel that could not be fired by yeah. any by the executive branch ever. This is a permanent yes yeah. entity. It that would will consist exist of and people it will not like, be accountable to anyone. Yeah, it would consist of people like Kendi, mm-hmm. and they would pre-clear. They'd have the power to pre-clear any local, state, or federal policy. Right. Which is to say, reject any local, state, or or federal policy if right. they deem it to contribute to racial disparity. Right, which so will if, which will be scientifically defined. <laughs> Racism will be scientifically right. defined and understood. The people who will be doing this work are experts. <laughs> yeah, and maybe is, Jack Dorsey's shorting the stock. Maybe it's like he's 150 <laughs> negative and he's like you know watching it drop, and maybe he's going to make money. I have no idea, but really, that's amazing because yeah. we did talk about that. Didn't yeah, because we? Yeah. Yeah. we were talking about the Civil Rights Commission. Yeah, yeah, fuck. But but that's just that just is what totalitarianism is. That is the only word that comes to mind, and it's it's the only 
the only explicitly totalitarian proposal I know of that is at all in the intellectual mainstream, mm-hmm. which is to say, you know, someone who writes at the Atlantic and whatnot just has a document saying this is what they want right. and what they would do if they had right. power. And it's, it's, but because it's in the name of racism, you know, people just had, people just turn their minds off. Um, they can't think straight. If something even has a whiff of fighting racism, mm-hmm. people are just for it at all costs. Well, this is, this is a point at which I, I, feel like I ought to share this story. And I want to be careful about the way that I share it because I don't want to get anyone into any trouble. Um, And I haven't even actually shared this with John in full yet, but um, a friend reached out to me and said, Hey, I'd like to book you for this primetime special on race being produced by a big television show show, for an important television network. And I said, that sounds great. And we discussed some other people who we might include in something like mm-hmm. this. Someone like Coleman Hughes or mm-hmm. Thomas Chatterton Williams or John McWhorter, or Glenn Lowry. These names were specifically mentioned. Um, and for some reason, they thought I ought to be there as well. And I said, great. Sounds great. Here's some stuff. Let's talk about it. Some stuff meaning stuff that you've done. Yeah. You know, like clips and other, mm-hmm. other things just affirming, yes, this is great. Delighted to be invited. And the next day I got a note. And the note said specifically, it was, a, it was a very, very sort of short note. And again, this is a friend of a friend who is a prominent person on the production team for this show. And the email suggests it looks like the bosses are saying that they want to be very careful about the way that they book for the show. And it seems that you and John are a little too controversial for this program. Which yeah. one can imagine precisely what perspective will be on offer in a production like this, like a very particular variety of perspective on blackness is allowable in this context. And, and it's Ibram one X Kendi's it's is Ibram X Kendi's yeah. perspective, which is, which is, I mean, I do recommend that people uh, read the book is it is, it is to me, it's bonkers. I mean, I just, I, I you well, know, let's, it's let's poorly written and let's, it's all the rest of the stuff. But let's it, get specific. Well, let's get specific. And, and I just want to say one thing to this, to what Coleman said, what you said. I mean, the, the normalization of this stuff, it happens a lot with people who have not encountered these kind of ideas and debates before, right? So it's happening and everybody knows this. Everybody listening. We have a lot of listeners who send us mails about this. Coleman, Camille, you guys both know this too. If you have people that are on Instagram, they're not political people. They've never been political people. And they feel the necessity now in the wake of the George Floyd killing that it has to be political. And there are people that are telling us, and there are people that are telling me privately um, uh, that they're being shamed for not saying anything. Yep. You didn't speak out. You didn't say anything. And like literally people were telling me this. And so I have a, I have a white friend who's like totally liberal, yeah. whatever. He said I'm pretty sure I lost 20 or 30 Instagram followers just for not saying anything. Yeah. And yeah. this is like the least political guy. I know like I, yeah. he just doesn't give a shit about politics is afraid that he's too ignorant to say anything, but has generally liberal tendencies. And there's a lot of hymns, you know, I, look, and this is a friend of mine sent me this uh, screenshot from, from um, Instagram. Now I sent this to you too, Camille. Um, this is, I don't want to get too specific. I won't read what they wrote, but, but don't identify them. But it was a ad for um, some events in New York City. And this person who wrote this is white, um, wealthy, uh, very well educated, uh, never been political before, now is posting stuff like this all the time. 
And uh, the event is called We Been Here, A People's History of Black Existence in New York City. And then it's Thursday, <laughs> August 20th, et cetera. At the bottom, this is the important part. Register at uh, whatever the URL is. Free for black native people. $10 for non-black, non-native POC. $20 for white people. This person is, is white. And she wrote at the bottom that um, uh, the white, white pals, they should note the option at the end to add reparations. And I was like... Wow, it's not an option. By the way, <laughs> there's just there, there's a different pricing scheme <clears throat> by race, and I'm like, this is so bonkers. Well, this is that people think this is normal now, and they're not, they're not people who have been politically aware. So the, the what they're seeing is the mainstream, Camille, mm-hmm. is Ibram X. Kennedy, well, this is this is why I said normal. I want to be specific about about yeah. what we're talking about yeah, here, yeah. and I want to be I want to be fair in my characterization, but I also want to be explicit that the perspective that is allowable. In certain corners of the the intelligentsia broadcast television is one that says that blackness is some kind of congenital defect, some sort of seal, a seal of your your societal proclivity towards failure and awfulness. And it's not your fault, but you are likely to fail absent the intervention of white people to save you, help you, redeem you. To speak out on your behalf. It's a perspective that says that the most important thing about you and about anyone else, perhaps, is your race. At a minimum, it is among the most important things. And it is a perspective that says that the only explanation for any disparity between racial groups is racial bias. This is a perspective. One might hold this perspective. It's a very common one. But it's important to acknowledge the perspective that they are saying is too radical, Mm -hmm. which is one that says that the most important thing about you is not your race. And that societal outcomes can be driven by a number of things, but they are, in general, as a rule, quite complicated. And it's important to be precise when we use charges like racism or white supremacy. And that motives matter and that black people are not destined to fail and that most black people who live in predominantly black neighborhoods are not in danger of dying every day, every minute in every single police interaction. I think what I said is not just fact-based and generally true. I think it's also consistent with like this vision, this ideal that is embodied in the March on Washington speech that Dr. Mm -hmm. King gave, a speech that if he were to give it on a prominent television network on this particular television show might get him canceled. Of course. And might put him in a position where he can't be invited again. Of course. I, I just think that our perspective on these things is closer to his vision than what is currently being articulated by anti-racists. And to the degree that the anti-racist perspective is dominating all of these other spheres, that seems really fucking important. Mm -hmm. And a question that I received the other day, actually, on Twitter was from someone who was assailing me for being um, seeming too conservative, for oftentimes only talking about this kind of shit on Twitter. In fact, I've gotten this before. This and like cancel culture, it's like the strangest thing. Like they're just, they're upset that I'm not upset about other things on Twitter. 
And I realized something. I get really upset when professional athletes who are like baseball players don't talk all the time about music. (laughs) That's not what I do. But I realized part of the reason why I do it, I think one is because I recognize the degree to which this is like a genuine, real material threat. Yeah. And the fact that I think it actually has legs in a way that most people don't appreciate. Absolutely true. Yeah. So I talk about it and I try my best to restate what seem like banal claims about just how awful society is broadly or about the horrible, deplorable conditions that all black people are suffering under persistently and about how just awful it is to be black in this country. I feel like pushing back against overstatement is important. Yes. And I think it's especially important if it has those legs in that context, in a context where people feel unable to say those things who believe that I am right about this and share my perspective, but feel like they can't say this shit in public and they can't even say it in private. They can't certainly say it at their jobs where they're being forced to take diversity training. (laughs) And if I don't say it, then Coleman might, which is great. But it does seem important to me that if you're amongst the few people who advocate for this kind of shit publicly, that you do speak out about those things. So I do talk about that a fair amount, which does not mean that I don't care about other things. I care a great deal about the locust induced famine that is happening in the Middle East and Africa right now. It's actually really fucking bad. If you can imagine in a time when there is a global pandemic that is already making it hard to produce food and when it's already ruining economies, like entire crops are being devastated by these horrible insects and there's barely any resources or or aid that can be rendered in order to support it because the first world I'm doing air quotes because I know that's, that's not an appropriate thing to say. Um, but they're unable to really help because they're thinking about themselves. That's a bad problem. And we can talk about that and I can be upset about multiple things at once, but I do think that's a material concern. And when I see it as like the dominant perspective on television and amongst a particular political faction, I'm going to say something about just it and I won't you, fucking apologize for it. To defend you on this too, is that people have very sort of shallow um, memories or, or don't have any at all. So they might've encountered you on Twitter in the past two months and say this or past year is that I can give them a stretch of time on fifth column episodes that are probably 20 episodes when the topic of race isn't even broached mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. I mean, we had a lot of those. I mean, a lot, a lot, a lot, which I was always thankful for because I'm like, please don't get Please to ruin my career for saying things that are, but I will say to this, to the point of that, um, people talk to us, people talk to me and I guarantee you, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, comrades, compañeros, vet, you would be quite surprised at the people who send us messages who you would know. Um, who say, you know, quietly, sotto voce, I agree with you. I'm, th- I'm thankful that your podcast exists because you guys aren't crazy. You're not right-wingers. You're not left-wingers. You're not anything. But you generally say things that, that I think that I wish I, or, or that I wish I could say at work, or I wish I could say in my column, or I should say on television. We have a lot of people that say that. And they're like kind of rock-ribbed liberals. I mean, mm-hmm. I can think of, uh, you know, five, six that I'm thinking of that are pretty surprising. I mean, some others that don't say anything and just listen who one would expect that, that w- would, would avoid it. But I just don't, I think that, you know, there's a very small group of Jacobins who come out and say, let's enforce 
the ideological status quo because other people just don't, most other people just don't care. But I'm, I am constantly worried about it mm-hmm. and worried about saying the wrong thing because I think that one of the most astonishing things that I've read in, in a long time as a former guest on the show, Camille, you pointed me to it, is Connor Friedersdorf's uh, most recent piece in the Atlantic mm. about that video, um, the Zoom call with the New York school board stuff. Just read it. It's amazing. What I found amazing about it is the women, uh, almost exclusively white women, it's always, it's always the way, the cancer. <laughs> it's like John Dean. There's a cancer on the presidency. There's a cancer on, on the city of New York and it's like woke white women. Ta- the way they were talking about this school board, uh, they, there was a racial controversy that was not a, it was so, it's so crazy that you think that you're missing something that the world's gaslighting you. But the way the woman who's defending it responds, you don't even know the, need to know the context, read it. And it is legitimately Stalinist. It is the I, it is the same instinct that if these people had power, would line you up against the wall. It would be you'd be in Robert Conquest's Great Terror book. It'd be a, a new one. And I, I, did you read this? This woman who's like, no, no, you have to read the mm-hmm. Ibram. They specifically say this. Yeah. She says you have to read the Ibram X Kendi book mm-hmm. and White Fragility. Yeah. And then we can talk. Yeah. I and can't, then, I can't explain this to you. You're an educated white man. You're, you need yes. to do the work. You need to do the work. Cause if you haven't read this, like I can't even talk to you about this. Yeah. It's like the people that cannot get over the fact they cannot get over the fact. It's typically young people. These are actually people in their forties. I would imagine they, they cannot comprehend that someone would disagree with them. If you, if you disagree with them, you're wrong. Of course, yeah. people always think that, but it's also, it is the, the, mass version of false consciousness that everybody is suffering from false, false consciousness because they've been, they've been poisoned by the media. They've been poisoned by, it's been manufactured consent by the media, et cetera. There are not people who have differing points of view. There's people who are right. There's people who are wrong. There's people who've been tricked and there's people who've been enlightened. Mm-hmm. And unless you get yourself enlightened, I can't talk to you. It's astonishing. I mean, you really should read it. It's yeah, Connor's. It's piece so funny too, because the it, so much of this is hype and bandwagon and th- there's a certain type of person who if there's a trend in the culture they have to be on that trend yeah. they mm-hmm. just like the thought of not knowing what the latest trend is fills their heart with unspeakable dread and like the truth is police brutality has been an issue since there have been police mm-hmm. there have been there have been videos available of police doing what was done to George Floyd and worse you know, every year for the past, as long as people have been taking videos, right? There's a, you know, the, the Tony Timpa video, which, which mm. apparently nobody cares about, but is, is horrifying, you know, every bit as horrifying as the George Floyd video that was available a year ago. And that, that woke woman who was saying, you have to read Ibram Kendi right now. She didn't care about it. She didn't know about it. She wasn't doing the research. She wasn't doing the work. She's <laughs> doing the work. Because we happen to be at a cultural moment where it, ben- it massively benefits her to be doing the work. A year ago, there was no trend for this, so she couldn't give less of a shit. To, to, meanwhile, there are people you know, researching issues right now that aren't getting cultural attention, and they're doing it because they care about it, and they, they don't have to be bandwagon. And this notion that precisely when the culture decides to care about something, you have to say it right then. Mm-hmm. You know, I, this is, you know, one thing bothered me about people criticizing Kendrick Lamar for not tweeting about the George Floyd riots. And w- without even going into the substance of the issue, 
this this man made a, a whole album heavy with themes a, a excellent album mm. regardless of whether i agree with the politics of it mm-hmm. an excellent album heavy with these themes which took has to take him over a year to do like this is a a project it's not a yeah. tweet mm-hmm. okay yeah. and you're criticizing him five years later for not tweeting it's insane about this one when he was actually trying to make like write poetry about it and did a damn good job of it yeah. five mm-hmm. years ago mm-hmm and you're mad, like I, no it's it, it follows the logic of these types of i mean i don't believe we're going to descend into a stalinist nightmare at least i hope not i don't think there's any indication of that so just, you don't think it, there's any indication of that i know i, no, I don't think no so. indication whatsoever no, no i don't think so children marching through the streets of portland uncontested by the authorities why shining they, lights uh, uh, in the in the, yeah. in the in the windows sure. of their neighbors screaming are there people that would like that to get happen? up motherfucker yeah get up yeah insisting that yeah. they come outside look I, the, and, they, and for fear yeah, yeah. The local authorities do not engage uh, with them. Yeah, yeah. Of course. I'm just saying. The, you yeah, said yeah. no signs of that. I don't think there are. They, not, that's not a sign at no, all. No, that's a sign. That's a sign of a city that has been allowed to go mad. And I would say that if you were to show those how videos, many cities would that happen in I, today? I, I, well, could it's that still, could that happen I, I, in New York? Uh, what would no. the, what would law enforcement no, 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 what would law enforcement do they, if they, they started no. doing that up and down? They would beat my the street. fucking tar out of them. I don't they think would. so. They would at this point. This, like, the, the you police, think the po- NYPD the, would the poli- do that? The police officers in this city would sort that out. Coleman, you concur with that? Oh, here, here's I, I think where you. I think maybe we're at cross purposes. I, I do I think, think that Portland and Seattle are outliers. I think they're outliers. I think that if you showed those videos to ninety eight percent of the population, they'd say this is crazy. I, However, I don't think they wouldn't say it's crazy. They would. They, they would say so. I'm. I'm asking if it started to happen here. Yeah. Would the authorities in New York City actually do something about it? And perhaps New York City is about the same as Portland in this way for some reason. But I am not at all confident that they would do something about it. They, they, like if they, it happened they, in L.A., well, I'm not confident it would well, do something look, about I it. I mean, I would say that the, the, the New York City and, police, I, and I don't know even know that like from at a federal level. Like or not federal, but in terms of a national political level, if members of the Democratic Party would insist that they ought to do something about this broadly. Well, it depends on what, who they are. Okay, the I'm sorry, I cut I, you I, off. No, but I would say this. They're like, the, the people who were marching in New York City burned a, poli- a police car once mm-hmm. in Fort Greene Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, in front of, that didn't happen again. But but why didn't it happen again? Because was it, the was it because law enforcement well, did something about it? Well, if you saw the, what the NYPD were doing when these people were coming over the bridge, mm-hmm. and, you know, it was my friend our friend in the NYPD sending photos um, of the hilarious photos of all the cops were black and all the protesters marching over the Williamsburg bridge into Williamsburg were white. And it was mm-hmm. all these black cops arresting white people yelling what black lives matter, but they were intervening and they were, they, they intervened a lot more than the, the Portland police are just like, they don't believe it's worth their time. Anymore. Well, no, I mean, they, yeah, I don't think it's gotten even close to that point. Um, I think the NYPD and they're actually has, prohibited from interfering in some, in some respects. In some, they are, and like they yeah. have a, they have a shitty mayor, and we have a shitty mayor too. But it hasn't gone that shitty. It hasn't. Well, that, I, I mean, if, if 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 De Blasio did the Ted Wheeler stuff, I mean, look, the New York the New York City Police Union just came out in support of Donald Trump. Right. I hear you. I know. I mean, they, they, they it's a different kind of the different people. And I don't here. even know that members of the Portland police union or Portland police department would not broadly they get no support. Ins- they get Donald no Trump. institutional support. They get no support from a, a very big, unfortunately, a big portion of the population. They have been dealing with this for a very long time. Like that guy in Seattle, you saw that video where he like pulls up to the protesters. 
And he's like, you won. Did you see that? And he's, he's like, I'm quitting. I'm done next week. No. Mm-hmm. P- pulls up and these guys are like, fuck you. And they're like yelling at him and they're yelling back and forth. And uh, he's like, you, you won. You're not going to, this doesn't happen in New York. No, no, New York. Look, also New York is a different city in the sense that like nobody in Soho, nobody in the Lower East Side, nobody in the East Village, nobody uh-huh. in Chelsea is going to say, we can set up Chaz here. That's not going to happen. Well, there's no chaz or chop. But in it kind of did happen. It no. happened outside of City Hall and it persisted for some time. And, and it got no attention in the media. None. Because I mean, the, they, the, they were the just City sitting Hall there doing nothing. Sit in? Yeah. Uh-huh. I went to that a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they covered the buildings in graffiti. Yeah. That's what they did. Yeah. And and they occupied this space behind City Hall. For, Actually, uh, something for I, a while. I saw there, I, I realized I haven't thought about it since it happened. Um, the um, The naked cowboy came mm-hmm. in to the with the trump thing right no he i don't think he had any trump because he's done that before he mm-hmm. is, so he i mean he was dressed how he is he looks like a trump supporter yeah, yeah. He's, like, <laughs> he's just like he's a, a kid rock yeah, yeah. yes exactly he looks like kid rock <laughs> and he just walks in there he doesn't say he doesn't say a thing actually he he's you know very calm but he's I just in he's his underwear doing his the underwear naked the naked, he's not even singing he just kind of walks in and then Somebody yells, we have an unwelcome visitor. And people start descending on him. Wow. Creepily. It's wow. one of the most creepy things. I've Actually, no, I've been in New York several years. I've seen <laughs> but it was creepy because it, everyone saw him because he's very recognizable. And then one person like yelled, the, made the call, the signal. Yeah. And then people just start, you know, shouting at him, shouting at him, shouting at him. And you can tell his masculine ego was triggered at that point. And he said... You know, I'm going to walk out slow as I want. So he starts walking out slow as he can possibly do to preserve his, you know, sense of masculinity or whatever. And I'm just on eggshells because at any point this could turn into a fist fight like that quickly. You can, you can, you know, you can cut the, the air with a knife. And then he walks out of the zone of city hall and then they keep following it, Mm -hmm. you know, down the street and people are filming it. And it's just one of those things where, you know, I, I, I think it was dumb of him as a, someone who I, I think is known to be a Trump supporter on yeah, the internet. I think he is, yeah. It's dumb of him to come to that protest just strategically. Like, I, I'm not sure what, how anyone gains, but it was scary to watch him just be kicked out of a public space. Well, that's the game. It's the game for us. It's yeah. the game for us to show how people deal with dissenting opinions. And I think that when everyone would say to you on Twitter, Camille or me, why are you so obsessed with these things? And and previously it was like free speech issues, but mm-hmm. I've been interested in this stuff before Milo existed and before Ann Coulter and these people existed. And these were, became the sort of crucible of free speech on campus, but you know, bad spokesmen, et cetera. But it's always, it should always be a bad spokesman because those are the people you always have to defend, you know, bad people on the left, bad people on the right, bad people, wh- whoever. And the thing that I thought was important about this was I saw it trending in this direction that there were a number of younger people that I was dealing with. And they're just people who are basically coming out of college. And you can time this of when, you know, the university was like occupied by the people who were learning this stuff in the beginning of it in the 1990s, like late eighties, nineties. And Alan Bloom comes out with closing of the American mind and around that time. And then all those people become tenured, right? And they're, they're all in the universities. So it makes perfect sense timing wise. And then I see a lot of this. And again, this is not, not, you know, across the board, there's a lot of great people, but I just, that's a, a, an instinct that I see from so many people from a very particular type of university 
that you inter- you interact with them, they come into the media and they are like, you can you cannot say that. And like, no, 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 we're in an editorial meeting. This is the place that you say everything. And you try to work it out there. I mean, this is the fun of it. You're missing the fun. You got into, for what reason? To hector people? To, you know, push people, you know, your idiotic ideas on people and presume that they're going to listen to you because you're 23 and, you know, you just got out of Reed College. I mean, nobody fucking cares, man. And it's like that, it's that hubris of youth of like, we, oh, I just, I was just enlightened and all these rubes, if they only read Chomsky, then I would, blah, and I should go tell him. And I said, that stuff has gone to a point of which like, you know, no platforming was like, oh, who cares? And like the naked cowboys being no platformed in a way. Like they, it's not, this is not, the, the, I think the use of the word space is one of the most idiotic and, and, and almost turned into this kind of like foul thing of like, these are black spaces. These are white spaces. This is the, our space. This is your space. It's like, there's no fucking spaces, guys. You know, and you know, unless you're in my house and there's some private property spaces that we're going to have to deal with. But as far as like, there's no, you know, free speech zones. That was the original thing, by the way, in the nineties at, I think UMass had it, had one too. It was like mm-hmm. a free speech zone. You, if you wanted to have free speech, you could go into this one area. Mm-hmm. Remember this mm-hmm. fire used to uh, go after these people, the yeah. free speech zones and like, you know, the corralling of speech into a geographic area that was the size of a postage stamp should have kind of worried us because those are the people well, who well, are, it did worry the good folks at fire. It, it did. And it didn't worry enough. Of us. And, and the, oh, those of us who were like, yeah, this is bad were accused of hyperventilating and mm-hmm. being over the top. And like, no, 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 the chickens are coming home to roost now. Because every time you see these, you know, like try to have an interaction with somebody in which you disagree with them, you know, in one of these protests or, you know, people who are part of the protest movement, mm-hmm. they will look at you like you are just a foul, horrible, hateful person. They can't mm. imagine that, you know, people can't control where they grow up, who their parents are what their religious background is, all of these things that inform how we think about things, right? Mm-hmm. All of that makes sense to them in other contexts, right? You know, when you're talking about class and things like that, but when it says these overall politically, they don't, they don't care at all. And I'm not saying, when I say they, that's a wrong, you know, uh, pronoun. You mean, you mean those people? I, I just, I just mean, I just mean, you know what I'm talking <laughs> about, not exactly. everybody. Yeah, I do I still know. think that yeah. it's a minority of people, but- the minority it's a, it's of people. A, <laughs> <laughs> it's a majority where I live. Uh, and, I, and, and when I saw and I say earlier that I don't think this is a problem. This is most of the country doesn't agree with this stuff. I just don't see most of the country these days. Yeah. I mean, that, that's one thing I, I've run into a lot is like, like when I'm talking to someone who's from a place in the country where they were the odd one out for being pro-choice. It's very hard to get them to take seriously my concerns as someone who grew up in, you know, suburban New Jersey. Mm. We're like, I I didn't, I know of one Republican that I knew growing up, my fifth grade teacher. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So like all I was kind of encountering is just like orthodoxy in one direction. And there's other people, you know, if if you grew up in Texas, it's like, I have a lot of sympathy for the the people who are trying to be like common sense liberals in Texas. Um, And I think there's a, there's a certain way in which you could hear what, we're kind of griping about now and just not get it from that point of view. But if you can just flip the polarity on your experience, because I, I feel like I, you know, when I, when I, I read some Washington post article about a, uh, a college that's funded by some, you know, Christian folks and like they tried to start a pro pro choice club and they get like stonewalled by the administration. Mm-hmm. And my heart goes out to those people. Sure, of course. 
um, naturally. It's just like my, my reflex is to have sympathy with them. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's a lot but, of those things in the other direction too. I mean, yeah. there's been, uh, people who are, you know, I wouldn't say pro Palestinian or people who are mm-hmm. very much anti Israel and sometimes mm-hmm. being shut down, um, in Chicago, for instance, and clubs that have been shut down. It's not super common, but it's common enough to be worried about. Mm-hmm. And these things, I mean, it's people aren't convinced when you tell them that like, no, I care about this stuff across the board. Yeah. And just right now I'm going to seem a particular way because it's, it's trending almost entirely in one direction. Yeah. And if it traded in the other direction, I'd say the same thing yeah. because I don't, I'm not somebody who goes to a Trump rally and it's like, ah, oh, my people. I'm just like, look at these fucking crazy people. <laughs> yeah, you I'm do. Like, <laughs> like, how many times do I come back and I'm like, look at these fucking crazy people. Show you pictures and all this like, interviews with people that are like drooling. Yeah. I want to say something before yeah. about what you, what you were saying, Camille, you know, about you've gotten criticized for talking about this too much. And I, I remember before I was anybody, I heard you on Josh's Epps podcast Hmm. you were still somebody at the time well yes thank you i appreciate that everybody's somebody's everything as chance the rapper once said Mm. um chance r.i.p don't even play i heard you on zepp's podcast Mm -hmm. and i remember you know getting goosebumps listening to you oh because you know it's just i was just a person that like everything you were saying made sense to me and i just didn't hear this from anyone. And I was a person on campus, you know, um, one of the most privileged places I had ever been in where everyone around me is amazingly Mm. talented and privileged and progressive and yada, yada. And being told more than I ever have in my life that I'm a victim of racism. And just to hear someone talk sense about it, who didn't seem to have a political agenda right or left was enormously valuable. And I have to think that there are a lot of people out there who, who feel the same way. So I, I, I do think it's important. Like the, the, there's two ways you can look at what you should be focusing on. One is the kind of Peter Singer approach just to think like, what can I do that, that is going to cause the most good, like in a kind of numerical way and like try to be rational about it. Like I I have a thousand dollars. How can I save the most lives with it? And but do that with your attention. But then you can also think about wh- where are the areas that I can contribute as a result of my unique position that other people can't. Mm-hmm. And you're one of a handful of people who can contribute in this like massive hole in our public discourse because of it, it's kind of a thing where you have to do it a little bit and then you become known as someone who's doing it and then mm-hmm. you don't you set up your career in such a way so that you, you're not cancelable really. Mm-hmm. And very few people can do that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm it's, not one of them. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, it's odd because I, I find myself doing it and I, I didn't set out to deliberately construct my career in such a way. You, on the other hand, I think are smartly like doing that in many respects. Um, and I am kind of hacking it, but the truth is, and, and perhaps this is a bad thing to say out loud because it might give someone an ideas. Like I, I have a media company that is not like fundamentally political. In fact, it is vehemently anti-political. Like our tagline is no politics, no bullshit. And we just don't do that there. Most this Camille Foster persona does not really exist in free think except in interpersonal interactions. Like there will be times where I'm having conversations with someone about a story. And I certainly bring my sensibilities to 
how we will discuss it. But I mean, pe- people say that, oh, it's overdone and there's no such thing as cancel culture. There's no such thing as this, that, and the other. You guys are, you know, hand wringing and for, for no reason. And you're mad that you've lost. That's another one. You've lost yeah, the culture. Maybe. Maybe. Um, for, for a time. What I wonder is what percentage of the people who have sent us emails, mm-hmm. we put out a call and I'm going to do this in the regular broadcast because I think it was on the Patreon that we did it. Maybe it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, about if you had a friend of mine was working on something with like this. If you had a diversity um, seminar mm-hmm. at work or one of these, um, you know, inclusion equity things and, you know, they brought a speaker and they brought, uh, you know, Robin D'Angelo. Like, Tell us about the experience. Just, just send us because a friend of mine is working on something. Send us. I, I mean, the mm-hmm. email box is bursting yeah. with these things. And what I wonder about it is, and these people who listen to this podcast, these are people who are affirmatively seeking out views that are maybe contrarian on this issue would be contrarian within their office or something. And I wonder what percentage of those people actually speak up in those environments. And the ones who do make sure to tell you, because it never goes well. Mm. It's never like, and so when people say, oh, you're hyperventilating, it's like, why does nobody, nobody I know, they can't all be cowards. You know, being they're, they're, the world's gaslighting them, and they just believe something that isn't true. Why do so many people don't feel comfortable? Why so many don't feel comfortable saying things in the workplace that would challenge the Ibram, Ibram, Ibram D'Angelo's? We're going to call them now. Uh, you know, Robin X, um, the Robin X view of things. Why does nobody want to say that? And I'll tell you why. One of the one of the reasons I think it is. Because I've seen people say that they are hurt, that they feel threatened, that they feel unsafe, which is the most common one, for an opinion that you have that is none of those things and doesn't. And rather than 20 years ago, if somebody said that, they'd say, we have an employee who is mentally ill and we need to deal with their mental illness because somebody <laughs> had an opinion that was different and they feel like they've been attacked by a pack of yeah. wild dogs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is insane, right? Yeah. Now it is like, it, the onus is on you to prove that you have not hurt somebody. Mm-hmm. You didn't deliberately hurt somebody. And, you know, context, of course, doesn't matter at all. Mm-hmm. And which I think in the, I think it was, I think it was probably in the piece that Connor wrote where somebody said that context doesn't matter specifically. Said mm-hmm. that. I mean, so people often say that we, you know, we've, we've highlighted that. Before. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. That In people- fact, it's, it's a, it's an article. I think it is an article of belief amongst anti-racist mm-hmm. that to the extent you were told that you did something that was racist, doesn't matter whether or not you intended it. It's been perceived as racist <laughs> and therefore you need to do the work. Could you imagine if somebody died in your presence and the police came in every version of it was murder. There's no context. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. There's no manslaughter. Right? Mm-hmm. There's no negligent homicide. It's all the same. Well, that's what happens that? to black people every day, Michael Moynihan. <laughs> every day. But if you're if you're debating this kind of stuff, you always have to be prepared for that kind of thing. So you're like, wait, I thought I was making a good point. Like, no, no, no. Yeah. No. Anyway. Um, there were a couple of other things that I wanted to get to. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Breonna Taylor thing. And, and maybe I'll, I'll just concisely say that I, I really hadn't examined that case until recently. I was having a conversation with a friend and um, I think said friend said to me, well, you know, she wasn't asleep in her bed when she was shot and killed by the police. Is that and said, right? And I said, really? I had the same response. Really? Huh. And I said, well, you know, I really have not 
examined this story at all. I haven't scrutinized it because yeah. I know things about policing and I know that no knock raids are a bad idea. Sending the police in at midnight to yeah, show up at your house. <laughs> and in this case, they, they actually, the police claimed they knocked and they announced themselves as law enforcement, but they yeah. were going to break down the door. They are came prepared cams, to break down the, the door. No, this okay. particular unit does not use body cam footage um, or body cams. Just don't. So there's no body cam footage. Um, there are reports from neighbors, um, and in, there are competing reports cause they say different things. Oh, yeah. Um, but there is some indication that they did in fact announce themselves in either case. What I know is that these raids can often go badly, that in general, these raids in the context of nonviolent offenders could turn into bad circumstances if they hit the wrong house yeah. and someone has a legally owned firearm and they think their house is being broken into, they may try to shoot at police and if, they may kill a police hit, officer. Or if they hit the right house. Well, yeah. Or if they hit the right house and they may in fact kill a police officer or hurt a police officer, the police officer may in fact end up killing a citizen or mm -hmm. a civilian, someone who's in the house who they don't know about. There are lots of ways in which this could go wrong. And I'm aware of that. And it's enough for, it was enough for me when I heard this story in a swirl of other stories, the Aubrey story, the George Floyd story. That I was just like, well, yeah, I mean, these things happen mm -hmm. and we should do something about those kinds of raids because they endanger That's people's lives. Problem. And that is a bad idea. Yes. We should, we should end that policy. We can do better than that. And, and to point, you still agree with that. I still believe yeah, that. I think they yeah. did end it in that city. This, yeah. which, city which is right? great. It's yeah. a good thing. Yeah. That's progress. Yes. We should be having that conversation yeah. across the board nationally. Yeah. We should do something to ensure that we're not doing this any place. If it's a, if, if we can pick up that guy on the street and formulate the rest of our policy. And it doesn't mean that no mistakes will happen, but this is a riskier way to conduct business. As it turns out, what's actually happened with the Breonna Taylor sh shooting is of course, this has become fundamentally a matter of racial justice. And what happened to her is she was murdered by police, as has been described, despite the fact that she was innocent and murdered by police while she was asleep in her bed because she's a black woman. And black people are in unique jeopardy of being murdered and killed by the police. And there were and four cops and they were all white, right? I don't, I don't actually know the race of all I the officers, but, they were all but white. what, what is occurred, what I've discovered is they weren't at the wrong house as is broadly understood. That's what I thought. Yeah. They were at the right house. They were executing a, a, a bunch of related um, warrants related to a man who Breonna Taylor had a relationship with. At some point, they'd been dating. It's possible that their relationship had continued in some way. At a minimum, the man who they were after had been using Brianna Taylor's address as his home address. He had at least at some point in the fairly recent past been receiving packages and mail at her address. Could be innocent. Law right? enforcement. Totally. Yeah. It could be completely innocent. Sure. Law enforcement apparently had asked the local um, USPS folks who were responsible to look into whether or not any of the packages that she had been receiving at her house for this person, whether or not they were suspicious. They reported to local um, reporters that this packages weren't suspicious. It's possible that, that she didn't have anything to do with this. Yeah. Possible. But in either case, they had a legit warrant. 
the warrant had her name and social security number and her address on it. They were planning to go to Wait, her she, house. She was on the warrant. Yeah. They were oh. going to Brianna Taylor's house because they were investigating a person with whom she had previous, again, had previously had a relationship who'd been using her home as an address. And they were actually executing multiple warrants that evening because okay. they were watching him and you know? knew he wasn't there. They thought she was alone at home. That was the critical mistake that they made. So she they wasn't alone. She was with a man who is apparently her now boyfriend who does not live there. And he has said explicitly that what happened is they were watching movies in bed or they were in bed, something. They hear a noise. They quickly get dressed and come down. They think it might be her ex-boyfriend. And someone is coming through the door and he discharges a shot. There is no, there's no dispute about this. He shot first and he hit an officer the, and the officers returned fire. Now it is, wait, it's, there, there, just to be clear about uh-huh. this, there isn't a dispute about that, but there's, there's no dispute about okay, no this dispute in terms of law enforcement first. and, yeah. yes, and him, uh, the, dispute, the, the boyfriend. And just to be clear, because I mean, I know this as something that I think is an outrage for the no knock raid. And uh-huh. this, this is, it, it ends up this way and it's not surprising because sure. of that. And I think it's good to hear Coleman say that it's actually stopped in, in Louisville. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think the dispute is, is that if this was announced, right. Mm-hmm. If they had actually, cause they're not great. They don't have yeah, to. And the, right? and, so and the boyfriend, the boyfriend has said that I didn't don't. hear. Yeah. I didn't hear. She also didn't possible, hear. Yeah. And we screamed down. We heard yelling. They heard yelling. They heard a ruckus at the door and they kept screaming, who is it? But you can imagine that if there's a ruckus at the door because they're already starting to batter the door, folks don't hear one another, right? right? They were coming in. And if someone is coming into your house, if someone is coming into my house and I didn't fucking invite them, I'm not going to wait to find out if they're the police. I might shoot through the door too. Yeah, no, totally. Like it might happen. If you show up at my house unannounced and you're coming inside. You know, a a lot of people on the right would you know, yeah, completely understand rights. that. Yeah. Gun, sure. Yeah. Second Which, Amendment. It'd be right. nice if we were having the kind of conversation that allowed for that yes. sort of coalescing yeah. around the substance of the issue. But instead, a particular detail of the issue of the of this particular occurrence, which doesn't seem to be the it's the factor that actually caused this to happen or precipitated it or led to the bad outcome. It's just a detail. And I think it is a despicable shame that the opportunity to have that fundamental conversation about the kind of reform that we ought to be pursuing nationally has been torpedoed by an opportunity to crusade. And when I see like LeBron with his make America great again hat, which has been modified to say, make America prosecute the people who murdered Breonna Taylor. Well, we don't, know that this is murder because it hasn't been adjudicated by a court. And at a minimum, if you shoot a police officer who's coming into your house, the likelihood that they will return fire is non-zero. I mean, like, I can probably be an abdication of their but, duties to not and, return and let me, like, and let me again, say one I'm more on his side. Yeah. And let me say one more thing about this before. At a minimum, one of the officers who returned fire like was just sort of blindly firing yeah. back Clearly, in response. You know, they hit her and not him. And he, yeah. and, and he was obviously terrified and he was fired and he was reprimanded by 
the authorities, but, but they that, are still was that investigating a of the this. Pressure from this from this case becoming national, or was that something who's, that happened? Who's to say? Well, I don't know if it just who's happened immediately. You know, and look, saying that's I, just bad. It's bad entirely reason. possible that had this not become a national story, they would have tried to cover it up. Yeah, and I doubt they, he would have gotten. It's, I mean, based on similar cases that I've seen, would, so many of these they, cases they where people do, do get not, away with they, they that kind get of away stuff. With it, yeah, well, and and worse. Yeah, yeah. Where they they cover up for their fellow officer, they do their best to 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 sort of frame the investigation in a way that makes the officers look like they came out, you know, they did all of the things right, and it was the civilians' fault, which is so, which is very bad, and that's why the true? reforms matter. I, I just reread the New York Times all everything you need to know about Brianna Taylor, which uh-huh. of course I you know I hate that as a title because yeah, yeah, it's never it's everything. Yeah, but they um, always a lie. They said on the police report, they put that Brianna was under injuries. They listed none initially, Mm -hmm. which I mean, I don't this this appears to be true. Yeah. But I also think it's like inconsequential. Like that could just be a mistake. She was super dead. She was and everyone knew she was super dead. None because she was. We don't know. You know? We don't know. There was well, also there was also some weird thing with like the day or time. Actually, with the yeah. time, because again, multiple multiple um, some other like, warrants were executed, kind of, and they kind of fudged the numbers to make it right. look like it happened in a particular sequence. It's not Which, obvious yes, whether or not no. that was deliberate. Right. But it's also it is true that the police had eyes on the suspect that they were actually trying to arrest, but they will also they were also interested in searching Brianna Taylor's home yeah. for evidence related to right. this case. Right. Now, again, should they be going after nonviolent drug offenders in this way, even traffickers? My answer is no. Fuck but then no. we're talking about policy. We're not talking about these yeah. individuals. Precisely. But here, so here's my question. The whole idea behind systemic racism, as opposed to the racism that most people believe they understand mm-hmm. when they, when they hear that term um, is that no individuals in the system are required to be racist in order for the system to yield racist outcomes. Right. Insofar as there is a coherent definition of systemic racism, that's it. Mm-hmm. And, and racism, which in this context is just something that happens disparately or disproportionately so to black people. So yeah. Coleman, what you're saying is you don't need, and just for, for listeners to, uh, you don't need a Mark Furman on the police force. Mm-hmm. You, yeah. It's just, it's part of the kind of DNA. It's, it's yeah. in the groundwater in a way. But isn't that kind of a trick? Anyway, so you can never argue against it, right? You can never argue against it for the, for, for the, in, in the, in the first place. And mm-hmm. the burden is never on them to produce any actual racist. They mm-hmm. never have to produce evidence of a human being right. doing something unambiguously do unambiguously racist a la Mark right. Furman. Which is a great innovation but, of, of the, mm-hmm. of the anti-racist where racism isn't an it's act. It's not about, move. it's not about intention. Yeah. It is the mere existence of this kind of outcome. And I'm, yeah. I'm breaking. <laughs> by the, way, the, the funniest thing is that Mark Furman is on uh, and was unambiguously a racist. Like well, he's a, like a legitimate racist and OJ was still guilty. So, yeah, right. yeah, so you know, yeah. it doesn't always work out. Yeah, the way yeah. you want it to. Broken clock is right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, a broken racist. <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, I, th- so there's this whole systemic racism meme that's very useful in arguments, mm-hmm. um, but doesn't totally make sense when you, when you think about it in detail, because actually where is the racist mm-hmm. racism coming from? Right. If not from a human individual mind, there's not, there's no other places to locate it other than in a policy that's explicitly racist or mm-hmm. something like that. But at the same time, whenever a, one of these things happens, one of these 
you know, no knock warrant gone wrong, um, arrest gone wrong or bad cop or a mixture of, or, or just bad luck. There's enormous pressure to punish the individual cop. That's right. Right. It, it's not, we have to for, fix for the some system. Reason it's not, we have to fix yeah. the system when yeah. in reality it, it could be that the system in this case, so like, like Duncan Lemp was a white guy, I think who was killed under very similar circumstances on a no knock mm. warrant, like the day before Brianna Taylor, I believe. I mm. think you sent me this article. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Remember. It was in uh, Potomac, Maryland. Yeah. And then Derek Cruz, a few, that's the, that's a really one of the more crazy ones. Um, there's a great article about the Derek Cruz where he got shot in the face and a no knock warrant. And at the end of the article, it just said, you know, uh, it was just as easy to get marijuana after Derek Cruz was shot in the face as it was before. Mm. It was just like the perfect line to highlight the exactly st- right. stupidity of this policy. Yeah, yeah. Completely inane. But they want to have it both ways. They want to say, well, we don't have to prove any individual races. It's actually not about the individuals. And if you think it is, you just don't understand. You That's need right. to read your Ibram Kendi or whatever. Right. But somebody but needs the to moment, hang. Yeah. <laughs> this dude has to hang. It's yeah. not the system. It's him. He has to suffer. Right. He has to suffer for years. And it has to be murder. Mm-hmm. It can't be manslaughter. It can't be negligence. It has to be murder. And it's it's interesting. And I, I think the reason I'm bringing out the specifics of the case is is because of the prevalence of the mythology around this particular situation. And the concern it has animated, a very specific, particular kind of concern, racially motivated concern, um, which affirms an established narrative about just how unbelievably dangerous it is to be black in America and how desperate the circumstances are for all black people. And I'm struck by so many different things related to this, by the performative nature of the outrage, which in some instances is genuine and deeply felt, whether or not it is sort of true and substantive, but also the curiousness of if in fact it is true that this is persistent and it is happening every day, all the time, constantly, endlessly, why does it always seem like so many of these cases, I won't say always, why is it that so many of these cases, the ones that we keep returning to, are often fraught with all sorts of complexities that make the narrative Everyone. that was pushed like just not really seem right? It doesn't actually add up. Yeah. It doesn't actually equal what you think it does. Yeah. It means that you're screaming five years later, five years later, we're still investigating Mike Brown, Ferguson, and adjudicating whether or not we should reopen that investigation. That was earlier this year. And and somebody who is very much inclined to reopen that investigation chose not to, which tells you a lot, right? Yeah. That was, I mean, that was, I was, didn't know that that was even happening, but after reading the report from Eric Holder's Justice Department, and there are two reports in the end, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it's heartening in a way that that is the case that people use. No, it, it, it is it's amazingly some, heartening. It is in some respect. In one respect, it's heartening because it makes me think, and I've probably said this before, that there's probably even less like genuine, like yes. sort of racially motivated awfulness in the world, at least in the United States, amongst the ranks of police officers who are involved in shootings than even I suspected if these are the cases that have to be the ones that become well, that, the that, again, just, I want to be very clear and I, like, says, I don't want anyone to take that out of context because they, yeah. they will gleefully do so. Oh, is it when I say it, it, it was 
you know, heartening, it's that the complexity of that uh-huh. versus what I thought was unambiguous at the beginning. Oh, sure. And I thought that very yeah, yeah. clearly. No, like, it would be worse. Pretty we would live up. in a worse yeah. country if like I mean, a Jesse Smollett yeah, thing yeah, actually yeah, could yeah, happen. Exactly. I'm yeah. happy that uh, Juicy Smollett was lying <laughs> and that he wasn't telling the truth because I don't want to live... And I want to live in the country that where that's fake and not yeah. where it's real. Yeah, that's, it's a better outcome. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Coleman, you were getting well, ready to jump say, in. In a strange way, the the harder cases make for for you know for a better crusade because it, it's it's more useful to signal signal your allegiance to your tribe on a crazy belief than on a sane one. Hmm. Right. Cause you, it costs more to like, but it's like more, more of a costly signal, I guess. But it doesn't, but they don't believe it's right. crazy. They don't, that's what I'm saying. They don't well, accept, they don't accept like the interpretation I'm yeah. giving you now is yeah. it is fact-based. Mm-hmm. Like someone can go research this. Mm-hmm. In fact, we, we, there are various questions that a thoughtful person might ask about this case being confronted with evidence like this. Like, is there any, legitimate reason why the police should have been there. I mean, I've just given you some, is it possibly well, no, more this legitimate is what I mean. this than is what that? I mean. Does like, it matter? Like it doesn't get you, get you any woke points to be against the hanging and slaughter of Emmett Till, right? Like an right. unambiguous case yeah, does you right. nothing in terms of status. Mm-hmm. What does do something in terms of status is, okay, this kid just strong armed and robbed a deli, mm-hmm. you know, on camera. Mm-hmm. And there's competing testimony about what he was doing with the cop reaching for the gun. Hands up. Most of the witnesses are saying he does supporting well, it. In no, that none case, of the witnesses the except case, his friend said that he right. had his hands up any, anymore right, once right. that went to the grand jury. But, right. Yeah. <laughs> but supporting him in that case gives you woke points precisely because it's a less strong argument on the facts itself. Although they don't actually want you to talk about the fact that he committed right. the strong armed robbery That's to true. even suggest that that yeah, is part of the story is part of your it's problem precisely because it's such the first thing you think of if you're a common sense person is like mm-hmm. what was he doing what, yeah, what was he doing wait, why he, was he walking in the middle get, of the street how did start yeah yeah wait you're, you're saying he he completely strong armed this tiny poor deli owner like okay what kind of person was this what's likely to be true about what mm-hmm. happened those are all the thoughts that pre-politics a normal person would have about the situation and even a person who was just it's just trying to figure out what's going on, mm-hmm. but it's precisely to ignore the obvious that marks you as really I'm on, I'm in the tribe. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm down with you. I'm willing to be viewed as crazy by, mm-hmm. by the other people who are, you know, in, in a way. So it, it doesn't surprise yeah. me that these are the cases that blow up is what I'm saying. It's also interesting in, the obvious in that, you know, all the problems that I think Donald Trump has created for this country. One of them which I find most interesting and, and, you know, is the way, well, he's actually exposed this mistakenly is that the way that he lies is so brazen in so just shameless in so easily checkable and easily debunked on the spot and journalists get an enormous amount of pleasure out of being the first one to do so is that everybody has responded by putting those debunkings in the headlines on the chirons. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump says without, without, without evidence, evidence. Yeah. Donald Trump lies about this. Donald Trump lies about that. Okay, fine. I yeah. mean, most of that stuff is demonstrably false, right? Mm-hmm. But the only thing that we object to is not the, it's not the lie. It's the manner in which the person is lying mm-hmm. is that we offended by the fact that Donald Trump is doing it so brazenly in without any nuance or without any, you know, even attempt at performing some sort of, 
intellectual David Blaine act where you're just like <laughs> blinking, like, oh, we didn't even notice we're being lied to. Whereas, you know, I mean, when I was in college, the Mumia Abu Jamal case is a lie from the beginning to the end. Everything about it is fake. I mean, like provably false. And it ultimately kind of caught up with them as the people stopped paying attention. And I think it might have been when Michael Moore said in his book, it might have been the stupid white men book, which was like a big bestseller in 2003 or four, uh, that it was like a throwaway line. And like, you know, Mumia probably killed that guy, but blank, blank, blank. You know? mm. And there are some people on the left, they were like, I don't know about this, but I've mentioned this on the show a lot, my my joking. And a few people have, have said that they went to Amazon to look for this book, by the way, that I said I was going to write a book called Guilty. Because everybody you think is <laughs> innocent exist, from Sacco yeah. and Vanzetti on are all like probably guilty. <laughs> and like Leonard Peltier and all these people. It's like this stuff that survives that is so either Rosenberg's a great example. It's Alger Hiss, a great example. I mean, these are just enormously successful lies at the time. Enormously successful. And they had an enormous effect on the culture. I think I was growing up in the time when American history books were changing and that this idea that people have, which is, has not existed for a very, very long time, that American history books are, are simply a series of lies that needed somebody like Howard Zinn to debunk them. I don't know when the last time those history books existed, but you can, um, I have a book uh, on the shelf that I was looking at the other day, uh, Francis Fitzgerald's book about uh, American, she wrote a book about, about, history books in American high schools and from yeah. the 70s. And then I'm shot, I was taking notes and I think they're all in the 70s, super progressive, making all these arguments, you know, yeah. counter to what, and she talks about these days and all these lies in the 70s. Like, remember when there are all these feelings of lies in the books? We talk about that now. It doesn't mm-hmm. really exist. But all of those bullshit things from Sacco and Vanzetti to the execution of the Rosenbergs, which I adamantly opposed to the execution of them, particularly Ethel, but you know, still guilty, but um, of different degrees of guilt. That was in my, those were in my books. Those were in, I learned about that in school, which is what made me interested in this stuff initially. But I, we all knew that. We all, I mean, you, it's very hard to get somebody to think that the, I mean, the Rosenbergs, you know, the, the kids, the Mirapoles, their, their kids who were, you know, adopted afterwards, Michael, Michael Mirapole, they did a film, their granddaughter did a film for, for HBO about, I think they kind of acknowledge that they're guilty now, but then there's, you know, a whole red scare element. They keep winning by lying. I mean, none of this stuff is true. And it's not like ambiguous. It's you're either a Soviet spy delivering material on the atomic program at Los Alamos or you're not. And he was, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, you either pulled the trigger that night, uh, Hurricane Carter, or you didn't. Mm -hmm. I think it's fairly clear that he did. (laughs) And you get an Emmy award winning film with Denzel Washington, which has absolutely no relationship, maybe a glancing relationship to the truth. Mm -hmm. But that's huge. I mean, I wrote a piece after he died saying, you know what? Um, it probably guilty. And Jesus fucking Christ. I mean, the emails are like, how could you say it? I'm like, did you read the piece? Cause I kind of make a case. You respond to the details. It's super like, and and then there was a BBC, um, like your Ivy league education. I mean, you get the point that I'm making, but you can do this across with so many things. We really, really like to, gleefully point out the lies when they're obvious yeah, and when they don't support our side of the ledger. Whereas, you know, I mean, I'm seeing, you know, um, Michelle Obama giving a speech at the DNC and saying, kids in cages. And I was like, motherfucker, those pictures were from your husband's administration. <laughs> like, did you not know that? Did no one tell you? You're just still it, doesn't, to, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're still trying to trick it me. It doesn't matter. You're still there's, trying to trick me. There's certainly no way 
that anyone from the Trump administration would have been able to get away with something equivalent to that with the folks from CNN watching. Which, by the way, but awesome. I'm on their side. I just wish it was everybody would do that. That's what I want. You know, I actually I want that. I want yeah. you to skewer all of them all of the time for all of the things. Um, we should get out of here. So it's been a while. Do you what can is, you see what, how what long is that? that is? Two fourteen. Two fourteen. Oh, it's not that bad. I thought it was like it's not that bad. Rogan, feels like. feels a little longer. Not that I'm not having fun because I am. A quick drive by um, related to DNC stuff. Uh, I don't remember hearing any mention, certainly not from the most prominent speakers there, of impeachment mm-hmm. or Russian collusion. Oh, yeah, that's right. Which mm. is remarkable considering the amount of time that's been devoted to those particular projects. They impeached him. Over the course <laughs> of wow, the last four years. I completely forgot about that. We didn't say anything about yeah. that shit, which is kind of insane. Um so what does that mean? I don't know. I suspect it means that they don't think it's a winner. They understand and they're, they're weak on kind of running away from it yeah. because they don't think it helps. So they them. must have like market tested that. Yeah. And realized yeah. people kind of knew it was bullshit or, or at a minimum, it's it not working. Yeah. yeah. It's not working. And that's so funny. There's, there's probably good reason for that. Yeah. I mean, why not st- start every speech saying this is a president who was impeached was impeached by the house of representatives yeah yeah, yeah. but it doesn't sell which is which it is interesting like and an, maybe just the anti-trump rhetoric is not you know doing well with the voters they need to win it's old yeah now. It's, it's incredibly old yeah. i it, feel it's old it's so it's odd to, it's like february it, and, and this is, i knew this trump is, i knew trump was bad in 2015 that's yeah, why yeah. i voted against him like I, god yeah. damn it i don't need to hear this more well this is the thing about having what is certainly an uninspiring Democratic presidential ticket. And there was actually a very great episode of The Daily, I believe it was from yesterday, where they actually talked about like Joe Biden's political career, particularly Joe Biden's like 30 year crusade, um, almost 40 year crusade to become president of the United States, which begins with this rather inauspicious campaign with pretty much no like policy mooring like no one was asking for him to run he just sort of felt like he ought to be the guy and proceeds to plagiarize and yeah. lie himself like yeah. right out of the race is this the one where he lied about his college uh-huh like, yeah really, i've got a higher really iq than you i Trump was the lies. only person in my class who got a full scholarship to go to school and i finished at the top of my class all lies all of those things like the opposite is true yeah like they're <laughs> I mean, that, that's the you kind weren't of at the top lying. of your class. That's the kind of Trump style of yeah. lying. I guess but, there was no all is forgiven in in yeah. some respects, except credit to the New York Times because they covered it. Yeah, they put it out there. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting though about that campaign is the degree to which this new campaign, which again, it's ironic that Julia Louise Dreyfus is introing Biden, yeah. and the rest, and is emceeing on the last night. Because this is kind of a campaign about nothing. Like, yeah. what are the p- specific policy goals and objectives of this particular campaign? How, campaign, yeah. in fact, do they plan <laughs> to render the COVID pandemic over? How will they yeah. arrest it? It isn't yeah. quite clear. He's going to create tens of thousands of jobs by repealing the Trump tr- the Trump tax cuts. How does this work? Green jobs. It's all fantasy and smoke and mirrors. And in a way... There's a sense in which that's not so surprising. So much of politics is just absurd 
claims. I mean, that Trump, can't be supported. I mean, I think just today, to Trump talked on. about the millions of jobs that he created with his policies. It's not yeah. true. It's just yeah. not true that this is a thing. But in either case, I mean, they, keep in mind, Steve Bannon got arrested because he he wasn't actually trying to build the wall with <laughs> private money. I mean, Trump's not trying to build it with public money. Or, or by the way, let's remember, let's not forget this with Mexico's money. I mean, the things that this man has failed to achieve. I mean, the actual cost. The cost, which nobody talks about, nobody cares about, the cost of the trade war with China for what benefits? What are the benefits you can you can you can uh, point to when you're up there uh, debating Joe Biden? There's being, there, being tough on China. There are no real. There's tough. no real benefits to this. Being at all. Tough. Actually, yeah. it, it hurts America more than anything. But of course, you know, I had to look up right now because I was going to make a reference to her, and I couldn't remember her name. Tara Reid mm. is a name we'll not be hearing yeah. uh, anymore. And we heard it very briefly. You, and you know, you'll, you'll hear it from Donald Trump. From Donald Trump. Yeah. yeah. But do you know what the amazing thing is? <laughs> this is so crazy. I looked it up and I was like, woman accuses Joe Biden. Can't remember her name. And the first thing that came up was an NBC news story. And the headline of the story is really fascinating. Is it believe women? No, <laughs> no. And then NBC news headline is woman broadens claim against Biden to include sexual assault. The wow. accusation in that headline is changing that story. she's changing her story, right? Mm-hmm. Which happens all the time. Mm-hmm. It happened. Anita Hill changed her story, by the way. Mm. Um, it doesn't mean it didn't happen. I'm just saying Anita Hill did change her story. And that this is a very, very common thing, which is not something you're ever, you know, should ever be um, feel comfortable about uh, questioning in public because that's you're just told not to. Right. Mm. Just don't you know believe women thing. But woman broadens claim against Biden. She broadened her claim. To include sexual assault. She didn't say that before. That's what the headline says, which is very, very interesting to me because it's you don't see it so nakedly partisan. Mm. Um, they usually give it some lip service. Some people, you know, they wouldn't broadcast the Juanita Broderick interview that they did on, I guess, NBC in 90, whatever it was, 96. Mm. Yeah, I would, so I, but yeah, I feel it's like pretty, pretty brazen. As far as hypocrisy and, you know, all of this stuff, I have a lot of sympathy for people who don't vote because they're so um disgusted by just like the pure partisanship of the yeah. system is like whatever you want to say about sexual assault about Trump okay Bill Clinton Joe Biden Terry Reid whatever it, have a consistent principle about that and you won't find anyone to vote for really yeah. Whatever you want to say about the criminal justice system, well, it's true. Yeah. and then whatever Can you want to say about like <laughs> for once criminal justice and like you know the, the rights of the accused. Okay. Have a consistent principle about that. And Kamala Harris's record disqualifies, you know, that ticket. And yeah. Okay. Be pissed off about Trump and the central park five and the death penalty. Mm-hmm. And okay. If you have a consistent set of principles there, you're also not voting. Right. Frankly. So I don't really know a, a person who's in good faith, trying to have principles around these issues, dealing with politicians that are, just careerist and without principle. I still plan to vote, vote for Biden Harris largely because I just think policy aside, Trump's rhetoric is bad for the country. Like his stupidity on Twitter has consequences. Even if, you know, uh, policy wise, I'm kind of like a toss up between the two policies, the, the two parties. But, you know, what would you say to someone who is really observing the inconsistency of every side and the lying? And thinking, well, I'm just going to stay home. 
Hmm. Well, tr- Trump makes that decision for a lot of people because you can see that in his 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 uh, the opinion polls, his approval ratings are so terrible, and they're like historically terrible and have been for a long time. Is that when you add brutishness to lying, it takes on a different kind of it's a different feel, right? Hmm. Because there's something you know oafish and ugly about the way he does it, right? And the way he, I mean, when, when I mentioned this in the previous podcast when he's tweeting about don't worry, suburban housewives capitalized. Um, we're not going to have poor people in your neighborhood. It's like, what are, you, are you serious? It's just, it's just disgusting. Well, I mean, it's, that's, that's not the exact tweet, but that I, is a paraphrase. I, I, it was, it was, pretty, not, it's it was pretty not too paraphrase. far from it. Yeah. And, and it was... Their suburban lifestyle dream would be jeopardized. Would be jeopardized by, by having like poor yeah, people in their neighborhood. Public housing stuff or, or something. Yeah. And it's just like the way he does it. And I think that, Coleman, you're right, that it has consequences. And I think that we can't really calculate them at the moment mm. until we see in a couple of years and talk to people who are in other um, other countries. And we're seeing a bit of it now, like what happened in North Korea, how how that uh, you know ricocheted on other countries, also trying to do things to constrain the North Korean nuke program, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Same thing is true with China of people trying to. I mean, you you come in. There used to be a thing particularly with George, uh, George W. Bush and, and Ronald Reagan in the European press. And there was a famous cover of, of Stern or Der Spiegel, one of the uh, German magazines with Bush's uh, his feet his, were cowboy boots. And I think it was an American flag in the cowboy boots. And it was like, they were resting on top of the world, right? This is the most cliche thing of how Europeans think about the American cowboy kicking the world. Right? That was never really true until Donald Trump and Donald Trump comes in like a bat out of hell and has no people are like, oh, it's great when he doesn't respect uh, Washington norms. Uh, I don't think that's a great thing when you're trying uh, diplomacy. And do our diplomats do a good job? No, more, more often than not, they do a bad job. But it doesn't mean that you go in and burn the entire house down and expect a better job to be done because that's not what's happened. I, I, I'm thinking again, and this is perhaps not unlike what I was suggesting about QAnon, but like as we're talking about it, and I know I've asked the question before, but like Mitt Romney wins, let's say, mm-hmm. or or Jeb Bush wins, mm-hmm. and we find ourselves in a very similar circumstance to right now. Mm-hmm. Like up to that point, a lot of things have happened already. You know, you you've had, you know, Black Lives Matter is a thing. It's already out there in the ether. We've gone through sort of Occupy Wall Street. Perhaps there isn't a women's march like afterwards. And a lot of the other demonstrations related to um, the the harder line immigration policies. There's more moderate policy. But I, I don't have a difficult time imagining that a lot of the outrage that has started to manifest itself in certain ways, like wouldn't have started to manifest itself in other contexts. I remember before George W. Bush was like redeemed, he was loathed. And George W. Bush was was the stupidest, most dangerous man to have ever occupied That's the White House. Like and Dick Cheney he still was hates George like W. Bush. Awful. Such a passion. And, and these 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 people were destructive monsters. The, Mitt Romney, before he was the hero who was, was willing to take a knee, was the binders full of women, religious zealot Mitt Romney, oh, who just was going magic, to destroy America. Charles Blow talking about his magic underpants, which he apologized I mean, for. Uh, and somebody else, I can't remember who it was uh, in the time saying, you know, predicting 
you know, like the incipient fascism because of uh, his, his either Mormon beliefs or just uh-huh. his politics. But um, I think that you're right. I'm just saying, but, this, but I think it would be, I think it would be, I think it would be different. It would be, though. it would be different. It would be toned down. There's, different. there's yeah. no doubt about it, that it would be toned down. Would but there is protest be different though. It's I don't know. I'm not sure. I, don't know. I, I remember there was a video in, during the George Floyd, Floyd riots. Well, I guess this one was a protest of two people. You probably saw this circulate on Twitter. It was like, three black people one was older one was sort of younger and one was in between Mm -hmm. and they were having a conversation that went really viral and they referenced trump's tweets Mm -hmm. in the conversation they were like he said when the looting starts when the looting starts the shooting starts and you could tell that tweet was doing something for him in terms of provoking his anger and his frustration and his sense of hopelessness and this the world is against me Mm -hmm. I I have to think that a, a president who can just manage to not tweet things that are at minimum like ex- inflammatory like objectively and objectively incendiary. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like yeah. just like tweet shit like a normal politician, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. I got sanitized. Think, yeah, sanity with all yeah. the bullshit sanity like politically correct whatever. There's a reason that most politicians do it that way. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And it's because people go insane when you say something like they interpret it the wrong way or the right way. And it's nuts. I have to think someone who did it normally, we'd be a little, but we've, we've actually developed the capacity to go insane when people say things that are completely innocuous. That's true. And I, I think there's something is actually tangibly wrong. And perhaps to return to a theme earlier, when I'm with you, I don't think that we are on the precipice of like totalitarian nightmare Mm. state. I do think, however, that there are things that are happening now that frighten me and disturb Mm. me. And there are, there are ways in which our conversation is happening. Defects that are systematically appearing within like institutions and the media, Mm -hmm. A hostility towards like your next door neighbor who might have slightly different political beliefs than you. That's right. Yeah. Like all of those things happening simultaneously at a time when globally, like we're all so vulnerable. Mm-hmm. It's worse in other places. And you actually see like live ammunition being fired at protesters in other places. It's fortunately not happening here in the yes. United States at yeah. this point. Yes. Um, but there's plenty that makes me nervous. And when I think Ale- about Ale- no- Alexei Navalny is being, is being uh, medevaced, uh, finally got the permission of the Russian government to medevac him to Germany right now. Mm. Different, different political, different, different political context yeah. when the major opposition figure to Vladimir Putin is lying, dying in, yeah. in a hospital room after I think the third or fourth assassination attempt. Yeah. So, but when I think about November, like I'll say it, even now I have a little trepidation saying this. I'm not pulling for anyone, but for this reason, I am not certain that the country can sustain another four years of Donald Trump. I don't think I can. Because I think it will break people's brains completely. That's right. And I wouldn't want to be anywhere near Manhattan. Yeah. And I don't think that's like. I'm not afraid of what Trump's going to do. I'm afraid of the people reacting to it. Because I actually actually think that there are the checks and balances, like astonishingly in some respects, like have actually worked. Like the president of the United States has, in fact, on numerous occasions suggested to the people who work for him that they should do illegal things. Mm -hmm. And he continued, in fact, 
Presidents kind of do that on a regular basis. They're oftentimes more tactical about it. They they bend the law. They mm-hmm. find ways to write executive orders that give them power that they should have never enjoyed to begin with. And we say, yeah. hey, and wag our fingers. Yeah. Now people go, oh my fucking God, this is crazy. Yeah. I, I'm okay <laughs> with that, that latter response in proportion, but- there's something about like the current moment that I just, I really don't think we can yeah, sustain I mean, it. that's the difference. And I, I don't want to yeah. see the violent disillusionment, dissolution, the violent dissolution. And disillusionment. disillusionment. <laughs> yeah, both. Yeah. Of, of the union. Yeah. Because that would be really bad. It would be bad. Like for lots of people. And yeah. thus, thus say the anarcho-capitalist, like keep the state. <laughs> keep the state. Well, <laughs> trust me, there's a point at which the, when I mean, you see the alternative to the state yeah. in Portland, you don't know. Well, defund maybe, that state. Maybe this state isn't defund, that bad. Defund Portland. Yeah, no, but the, the, the nuance. Abolish Portland and start again. <laughs> you say that all presidents do this, it's true, uh, and they do it in a different way. But it is the bluntness of Donald Trump is the difference between like not just like wholesale not paying your taxes yeah. and getting an accountant to do a bunch but of like really but smart that's just that he's so dumb about it that he gets into trouble for doing exactly. it and therefore people don't do the thing and whereas a lot of people think like a second term of the Trump administration would be like he would just be no holds bar he yeah. would just go crazy I, I think you're right he would go crazy and people would be like well, but seriously he's, stop he's it he's already tried to go crazy <laughs> you know? he's already kind of crazy that much I think you're right Camille primarily because he sees everything as a sort of contest, a ratings game, and this is the last ratings game. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't have another one, then you know what's it? He doesn't give a shit about poll numbers of his popularity. He cares about winning the election. That's the big one, right? And if he can't, if he doesn't have another election to win, and he's but, a lame duck president, yeah, I do, I do worry about what um, he think he'll try to get away with. But to the point of other people, and you said I don't feel that we're necessarily in a totalitarian moment. Um, Agree with you, but I'll, I'll agree with you in one in one sense too, and say I do believe that the rhetoric and the ease with which people allow a totalitarian mindset mm-hmm. to enter the mainstream and govern their own thinking is at I think its highest rate in modern American history. Mm-hmm. Modern American history, yeah. I mean, it always happens, right? Sure. You can go back. I mean, in New York City, every day. Every day in the 1920s, 30s, I think it was the 30s, 40s, especially, there was a daily newspaper that was published by the Communist Party called The Daily Worker. And people read it in immigrant communities, people wrote for it, and it was a paper that explicitly defended and plumped for a totalitarian regime run by Joseph Stalin, who was mm. killing millions of people. So it's not surprising that Americans do this. We always have this. We always have this. But at the time, we talk about, oh, the Red Scare and you know, uh, Martin Dye's committee and all this stuff. Yeah. Okay. What that indicates is that there are a lot of people in the mainstream who are like both, you know, Democrats and, and Republicans who are saying, you know, keep in mind that Bobby Kennedy worked for Joe McCarthy. He was a staffer for Joseph McCarthy mm-hmm. and, you know, Kennedy family was already quite famous at that point, right? Mm. I mean, his father was, was a bit of a kook and, but you know, famous at that point. It wasn't mainstream in any way. So if you say some of the baddiest shit mm. about Black Lives Matter, about whatever, about this current moment, and you know, you make a Robin D'Angelo. I mean, that, that book is written by somebody who's both not particularly smart <laughs> and it, 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 it not particularly interesting, not a good writer. And the points are something that, you know, a, a demented racist child would write. All people <laughs> believe X, all people are Y, you know? 
And what happens? He's she's on Jimmy Fallon's show, and he's like slobbering and like, uh huh, uh huh. Why? Because he ped, petted Donald Trump's hair once and got in trouble for that for you know normalizing him. But then you have this psycho on, and he's like, oh, it's about race, and it's a white woman, but but it's you know, let's have him. The fact that this shit is actually penetrating the mainstream, not in a huge way, but in enough that these views that the number of people that I see regurgitating this stuff on Instagram, on Twitter, the arguments that I have with people around, I'm just incredulous that like people that I once knew is quite smart and interesting have now been given this zombie pill Mm. and they start, you know, like repeating these platitudes about, you know, the work, (laughs) doing the work and like these these people, people of the book. Well, exactly. That comes to mind frequently. And they're, and they're, you know, um, what was the one that we were talking about the other day? Is the, the work is one. I'm so tired. Mm. I'm mm-hmm. so tired. Yes. You, tired? you know, take an Adderall. <laughs> <laughs> tired Jesus Christ. You're, you're reading all these bad books. That Although are that like one actually ambient. resonates with me. When, yeah, I, when yeah, I hear yeah, them yeah. saying like, fuck me too. Yeah, <laughs> like listening to doing you, something. It's yeah. insufferable. They're, in, they're tired because the, this make believe person that they never interacted <laughs> with said something that never actually was said. Oh. But yeah, I, I worry, but we're fucked. Anyway, this is, mm. this is like, I don't we're not fucked there's uh, there's reason for optimism there is there is but the but the stakes are the stakes is high stakes is high great record too by the way do you, you know about that record, Coleman? No, no, what's that? Oh my God. Uh, See, this is Donnie, what I'm talking Donnie about. De La Soul. It's not the best oh, De La Soul. De La Soul. No, it's not. But that's I mean that's a that's, that's a good record. single. Uh, yeah, stakes is high. That's that's late. That's on Balloon Mind State, right? Is it? Yeah. It might be. It's late. Well, that's that's ni- later day I would say 93. They were having like a resurgence at that point. 93, 94. Yeah. You can check me on that, but Y'all know the stakes is high. It's funny. I, I sent Coleman a text earlier today and God, what did I write? You know, I, after I wrote, I was like, damn, I wonder if he reads that and thinks like I'm, I sound old. I said what it looked like, which is <laughs> <laughs> yeah. funny. I was like, wait a minute. That's a that's like a Wale song. What year is that from? It's like a cameo Does he song. Know what I'm talking about? It's also like a Red Man and Method Man song. Yeah. Huh? By the way, Stakes is high. Some new shit. Stakes is high is um, also the, the name of the, the record. Um, it's '96. Below oh, State see? '94. Yes. Yeah. '96 no, sounds right because they. Yeah. This is like in. I'm in high school. And De La Soul has not done an album in a while, at least not one that had yeah. like a big hit record on it. And that was a, a hit record. And it was good, but it was particularly good because it's the first, first of any of those, I guess, first three records that was not produced by Prince Paul. Yeah. So, yeah. No Prince Paul and it's still a good record. Um, Coleman, you got any, any thoughts before we punch out of here? Any, anything you you're, you're dying to say? I've been thinking a lot about this New York Times op-ed from weeks ago mm. about blind orchestra auditions. Mm. Do you know about this practice? Maybe um, I'm so interested in this because it was my dream to be in the New York Philharmonic when I was like 12. Fill, fill us in. Fill us in. In the 70s and 80s, they started auditioning people behind a curtain mm-hmm. because there was bias. Like you just wanted gender, to but yeah, let like, the music do the work. Yeah. The female trumpet player was viewed as weak and even like the best of the ears, if you see a petite person playing the tuba, you're influenced by it. Mm-hmm. Right? So they, they put the screen up and they find, you know, the number of women coming into the best orchestras, it goes up, you know, and there was a New York times op-ed saying we should get rid of this because it doesn't allow us to get enough people of color into orchestras. Wow. And I thought that I've been I thinking that about piece. that f- so, so much. Cause Wait, I think it's a, the blind audition, which was at first designed to benefit people. Of and color. did in fact, and did in fact, did in fact. but not yes. enough. 
And so now they want to get rid of that so they can specifically pick. Right. So like if like the Chicago Symphony Orchestra only has two black people. Right. Lots of Asians and you know white people or whatever. How are we going to increase this if we've had blind auditions and not enough black people, black musicians go into classical music for reasons that we could unpack sure. mm-hmm. and are, I, I would argue, largely cultural and, you know, anyway. It's called systematic racism. <laughs> yes. Cultural. Yeah. And nothing else. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so the idea is to get rid of them. And I thought this, this is really interesting because it perfectly encapsulates the direction I am afraid we're going in yeah, and what I feel that I'm defending. Yeah. Like I'm defending a society that more and more wants to look like the blind audition. And there is a contingent that views progress in totally different terms. They want no blind auditions. Mm -hmm. I've just been thinking about that a lot. You know, what's, uh, what's amazing about like that, that merit. I've been, I've been, I, I agree. That is the thing that unifies us. And I think a lot about that, like meritocratic ideal. And I often hear the criticism level that the problem with that value system is that it doesn't appreciate that people aren't equal and that historical circumstances have rendered people on like unequal footing. And it's not that I'm not aware of that. Mm -hmm. It's just that I know that this ideal, this value is so important that despite that historic, unfairness it's still better to have this meritocratic standard in place because otherwise there's this weird picking and choosing and all sorts of opportunities for bad things that's exactly and we can still care about helping people that come from genuinely disadvantaged Mm -hmm. backgrounds without pretending that everyone who looks a particular way is necessarily disadvantaged well it's you also see in this kind of self actualizing communities. And one example that I can give recently that I've kind of been, been observing because I want to write something about it is um, the sense that the institution itself and the people at the top of the institution um, are maybe breathing in this racism or breathing in the sexism and it's trickling down and the blind audition is necessary, et cetera, because there's people inside with the blind audition. You're there's a person there and the person is making that, that determination. Right. And that's why that, there's not going to be as many women or as many black people or whatever it might be. I've been, you know, in these communities in the past three months of day traders, mm. just because I started doing a little <laughs> bit of myself, but I'm also interested in writing about it because there's been this explosion during COVID. And I right. think it's an interesting story. And when you say writing about it, you mean starting a Substack newsletter? No, I'm not going to make people do pay. Stock no, I just, I thought about that for a is bit and I was like, penny stocks? Penny stocks are, that's yeah. a chump's game. Right. No, 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 yeah, no, yeah. no, no. Crack is, crack is whack. I, I'll crack tell, is cheap. I'll tell you about you it. You don't do crack. I'll tell you about a trade. It's <laughs> pretty funny. Um, <laughs> you'll just shake your head up. Uh-huh. But um, all, it's all men. It's all men. Uh-huh. There's like occasionally a woman, but it's all men. There's yeah. nobody actually organizing this. There's, it's just these, they come to these places, right? And it's, they're day traders on their own. They don't work for institutions. They don't work for brokerage, brokerage firms. They're doing it themselves. And you go in and you watch the stuff and you see the, you know, the icons, their names. Sometimes they're talking. Sometimes there's videos. There's just no women. And I don't know why that is, but there's nobody making that decision. Mm. There's no sexism that's like, we're going to keep the women out. We want this to be a boys club. It's like, well, maybe women wouldn't feel comfortable. Like, no, that's not true. Because mm-hmm. there are some women in there and they're listened to and they're talked to. And there's a few that are like well-known and 
get a lot of attention and, mm-hmm. but there's just not many of them. Yeah. And it's like, the point is boring, but you don't need the superstructure, the, you know, Politburo to make these decisions. The world's weird that way with the people's interests. And that's often, you know, the conversation you have about, you know, pay disparity between men and women, but you cannot get it through people's head because the easier one it's not only easier to think about that there's mm. some malevolent mustache twisting plan. It also gives you an incredible social points to mm. imagine that. So we're getting nowhere in any of this stuff and, and, and paying attention to why all this happens and should we even care? Because I agree with you. I don't think that, that we should, you know, uh, you know, tip over the apple cart because it doesn't solve anything. So mm-hmm. anyway, I, th- I think we're on hour four of um, like a, the Ken Burns documentary. <laughs> we, you know what? I don't know that we've ever received ever received communication suggesting that the episodes are too long no. and that it isn't enough. In fact, I suspect because there's been a bit of a lull, a bit yeah. of a lull that people will be invigorated by the length of this podcast. Um, and I am glad to have been able to spend some quality time with you gentlemen in the midst of some very uncertain craziness that's happening in the, yes. in the universe. And I, I hope that there was enough interesting substance, occasional levity and sober real talk, my niggas, that <laughs> you feel like you can go out and face the day. I feel like I should do like a weird, like, it's such a good feeling. You should have a sign off on the fifth column. Like, you have that that's, sign in that's so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Consistent. Do you want to know what the sign off is? What? Bye. Bye. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horror.